Hello and welcome to the Build-A-Bard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We each build a level 5 character using a random race, class and subclass and see what we come up with. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. We use standard array, standard racial bonuses, and characters start with 100 gold and an uncommon or rare magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Oh, I feel refreshed after having had a lie down in a park. And it not being horribly hot. Yeah, well, I am a little nervous for this episode because I don't have heat madness to blame on any mistakes. Uh, We'll blame Canada. Yeah, we love you, Canada. Um, We have Canadian listeners. Do we? Yeah, we do. I haven't looked at the stats. I I looked not too long ago. We have Canadian listener in uh, Ottawa. Thank you. Well, if if you live in Ottawa and you're listening, the last time we tried to promote a post, we got three angry reacts to it on Facebook. Yeah. And they were all from middle-aged men in northern Canada. So if you can explain that type of guy to us, it would be appreciated. (laughs) It would. Yeah, genuinely. Today we are covering an Aracocra Celestial Warlock. Yes. This was uh, an interesting one for me. How was this build for you? It took a while to click, but once it did click, for a brief period, Mm -hmm. this build was kind of like your Sorlokadin. Right. Where it was kind of everything, Mm -hmm. and then I felt bad, so I scaled it back. I'll mention the everything build later on. Oh, I'm rolling first today. Yeah, you roll. Well. You got two, and I got a four. Okay, if you go first. Oh, sure. See what you got. This is more of a vague idea and sort of theming rather than this is the character and this is who they are. So mm-hmm. I, I've gone with the name that D&D Beyond chose for me, which is Brill Nil. Um, it sounds kind of like... Um, Let me just have a look. Or would that be Brill Nile? B-R-I-N-L-Y-L. So I think it'd be one of those things where English speakers or people who are sort of native English speakers, sorry, would be able to hear that there's a Brill Nil. Yeah. So they'd be able to tell that it's a very subtle YL. I've just forgotten everything that we do on this show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you start and... I'm starting on that side, start on yeah, that, yeah. And read the thing and do it. So <laughs> the flavour here is what if Arakokra were in Lura, my home okay. campaign setting. Yeah. And one of the suggestions for Celestial Warlocks is that it might be a Kuatl who has given you this power. And Coatles play an important role in the canon story of Tiramiron, who is the Sacred Flame, uh, from the Order of the Silver Flame. The Sacred Flame is not only a cantrip, it's also something in Octopath Traveller, which I've been replaying and really enjoying. Okay. So that's where my brain is going wrong. The Order of the Silver Flame, Tiramiron, she and a load of Coatl sacrificed themselves to push particular devil or demon back from the world etc. But in my campaign setting, it's a little bit more general, like, I think I think I said Orcus. You mentioned or- Orcus. Yeah. yeah, pushed Orcus back into his own plane, thus ending the beginning, the end of the, the Blood War as it spilled out onto the plains. Cool. So, the Celestial that's given power to my Aracocra is a Coatl. Can you just clarify what is, because I'm asking for myself, what is a Coatl? A big old snake. With wingies. Oh, right, okay. I thought it was, because I know there's something... It's based on Quetzalcoatl. The, yeah, from, um... I thought it was, yeah. 
one of the South yes, American, American yeah. mythologies. Um, whether it's Mayan or Aztec. I think it's Aztec, but knowing me, I'll be wrong. I mean, aren't they Central American as well, some of them? Oh, God, yeah. Central rather than Southern. So you'll have to forgive that some of the description stuff is a bit of a massaging. And I'll explain the massaging when it's gone. So I took the Far Traveller. Hmm. The justification for this is that uh, Aracocra don't really appear in my world. And that's because they're far the fuck away somewhere else. Okay. They're on a little island, Aracocra Island, where they stay. And you don't really want to deal with Aracocra. No, I do not want to deal with Aracocra. <laughs> and I don't blame you. No. To be fair, I think there's a way of going about it. But anyway, so originally this is from Soul Coast Adventurer's Guide, I think. Okay. So it mentions a lot of stuff to do with Faerun, but replace Faerun with Lura. Um, your accent, mannerisms, figures of speech, and perhaps even your appearance all mark you as foreign. Curious glances are directed your way wherever you go, which can be a nuisance, but you also gain the friendly interest of scholars and others intrigued by far-off lands to say nothing of everyday folk who are eager to hear stories of your homeland. You can't pile this attention into access to people and places you might not otherwise have. For you and your travelling companions, noble lords, scholars and merchant princes, to name a few, might be interested in hearing about your distant homeland and people. So for personality traits, I have my own ideas about what is and is not food, and I find the eating habits of those around me fascinating, confusing or revolting. So they're eating a chicken, and he's going, what are you doing to Cousin Bill? (laughs) (laughs) And then he's there, shoving a fistful of worms and grubs in his face, going, "Mm hmm, a sweet nutty flavour to this one. (laughs) I express affection or contempt in ways that are unfamiliar to others. So I've got like this idea of him rubbing his beak on people to show. Oh, God, yeah. My father-in-law used to have a little sun parrot called Chopsy. All right. And that Chopsy would just like, he would do this thing where he'd put the side of his face against you and then just like vibrate his entire head. Right. A long, 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 long time ago, I met Chopsy Mm. and we had to put the blanket over his cage so he wouldn't think he was alone. And I put my head under the blanket. We're about to go out somewhere. And I went, hello, Chopsy. And I went, who the hell are you? (laughs) (laughs) I think about that a lot. Ideals. Inquisitive. Everything is new, but I have a thirst to learn. Bonds. The gods of my people are a comfort to me so far from home. Mm. And I have a weakness for the new intoxicants and other pleasures of this land. So they've been sent by this coatl to go out into the world, maybe recover other essences of coatl. Maybe this is one of the coatl that sacrificed itself that's managed to bring its essence back together. I don't know if that's canon or not, but for a celestial it makes sense. So that's the kind of thing I'm working off there. Hmm. Four, my statis, I have a 15 in charisma. I put my 14 in con, my 13 in dex. 12 in Wiz, 10 in Strength, and 8 in Intelligence. I did go for new stats, put whatever stats we want wherever. Yeah. I put 2 into Charisma, 1 into Dex. Makes sense. So I've got, at first level, I would have a 17 in Charisma and a 14 in Dex. Mm. One thing that I've noticed that's weird about D&D Beyond Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is... Even though rules is written, it says you have to put 2 into 1 stat and 1 into a different stat... Or one into three different stats. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop you from putting the two and the one in the same stat. So some people no. who are building might be tricked into thinking, ah, I can add plus three to one stat. You can't. It's you just that, can't. It's just that D&D Beyond doesn't stop you from doing that. It's not that clever. I think two weeks ago I nearly fell into that trap it's, before I reread it. It's there because otherwise, if you think about it, it'd be a pain in the hole to have to take off one skill to then put 
Oh no, I've realised I want my one in charisma, not my two in charisma. Maybe, have to yeah. Put into a yeah. Yeah, it might, from a coding perspective, it might be more difficult to do that. And I took a feat. I took the actor feat. You don't see that very often. No. The original build for this was going to be an Arakokra who had been visited by the Kenku god who cursed the Kenku. Oh, okay. And was going to be an emissary to get them their wings back and their speech back. Oh. So from Volos to Morden yeah, Kanans, yeah. we've spoken about that before. And that kind of got lost along the way. But the act of feat does allow you to do some really interesting things. Hmm. Uh, you gain plus one to charisma, you have advantage on deception and performance checks when trying to pass yourself off as a different person, and you can mimic the speech of another person or the sounds by, made by other creatures that you have heard. So I'm just imagining you could have some real DM fun with that. Just disguise yourself as a human, wearing like a really crap human mask, but you pass your charisma check mm. with everybody except one person who's like, that's a bird. And everyone else is like, dude, don't We don't, don't use that word for yeah. women anymore. Don't be rude. <laughs> don't be rude to him. Standout skills. Let me have a look at my skills here. I've got a plus seven to deception. <laughs> plus four to insight, plus four to perception, and a plus two to religion. I put religion because it made sense for a celestial warlock. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get that right because in my head, it is also a divine soul warlock. Which it can't be, but that's what brain says. There is a thing that I took here. I took the Pact of the Chain. I've never made a Pact of the Chain warlock before. I've experimented mm. with a Pact of the Time warlock briefly at one point. Uh, I have one of my own characters, Eren, is a Pact of the Blade, Hexblade Warlock. Yeah. And I wanted to experiment with Pact of the Chain because I didn't know much about it and I thought the only way I'm going to learn is if I get involved. Sorry, just to point out, you get some really good stuff as a Arakokra. You have Talons, which means that your unarmed strike can do 1d6 plus your strength modifier of slashing damage. That's nice. You get a couple of spells that are just for you, for being cool. You get Gust of Wind at second level... And uh, you can upcast it when you get third level spell slots, etc. Oh, that's a snoring dog in the background now. Oh, he, I'm sure it'll probably pop up in the background. That's but... cute. That's all right. Yeah, that was that. So, I took for my Eldritch Invocations, mm. which is a real pain. Um, I took Agonizing Blast at level it's two. It's a good one. Naturally, to add my Charisma modifier to the damage. That just makes Eldritch Blast so much more reliable because at level five, you can target two things with it. Yeah. So that's two hits that you're getting plus three to and a minimum one on the D10. Yeah. So you're putting at least eight points of damage out there yeah. every turn, you know, regardless of bonus actions or well, anything else. My, my charisma is plus four. I'm, I'm doing a minimum of 10 damage a turn, mm. which is sometimes you'd be happy if you rolled 10 regardless absolutely yeah so you know if you think about like a wizard who's you know r admittedly run out of spell slots but if all they've got left is firebolt 10 is really the best they can hope for exactly around it is if you're down to cantrips that is if you're below level five as well pack to the chain for those who don't know you learn the fine familiar spell it mm. doesn't count against your number of spells known and you can cast it as a ritual one thing that i wanted to question about it yep you still need to buy the 10 yep. gold pieces Every time you summon it, don't you? You do need to spend that on... I thought you did, because it doesn't say without materials. Yeah. So every time you cast Find Familiar, you need... I think it's like herbs, charcoal and incense, Yeah, isn't something it? like that. Yeah. When you take the attack action, you can forgo one of your own attacks to allow your familiar to make one attack with its reaction. There are some really cool invocations 
mm. that boost your familiar into the stratosphere. Yeah. So I took Voice of the Chainmaster. You can communicate telepathically with your familiar, perceive through its senses, and speak through it in your own voice as long as you're on the same plane of existence. Investment of the Chainmaster, which is, I, I think this is the one I took at level five. When you cast Find Familiar, you infuse the Sun and the Familiar with a measure of your Eldritch power, granting the creature the following benefits. The Familiar grants either a flying speed or a swimming speed. Your choice, of 40 feet. I'm going for a swimming speed. I'll tell you what the Familiar is in a little bit. Kind of okay. Safe As a bonus action, you can command the Familiar to take the attack action. Mm -hmm. So that's two blasty blasts and a bonus action attack from my Familiar. Mm-hmm. The familiar's weapon attacks are considered magical for the purpose of overcoming immunity and resistance to non-magical attacks. If the familiar forces a creature to make a saving throw, it uses your spell save DC. That's good. When the familiar takes damage, you can use your reaction to grant it resistance against that damage, which is pretty good. And in my extras, I have taken either a pseudo-dragon, as that is what you are allowed to take, Yes, you're allowed imps, quasit pseudo-dragons, and sprites. sprites. Yeah. Sprites are also a pretty evil yeah, one yeah, to have yeah, as yeah. familiar. I took pseudo-dragon and was going to reflavor it mm -hmm. as a little mini coattle. The person who gave you power was like, well, you can have a little bit more. Yeah. And you can have, like, mini-me yeah, going cool. around with you. That's cool. I also took flying snake as an option. Okay. Flying snake is not eligible. However, it is a CR18 creature. And everything else that you can get with Find Familiar is CR18. And it does actually say in Find Familiar, ask your DM for if you can use other ones. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever. I, I don't think anyone's going to get too upset. Yeah, I think it, it's like the Druid Albert discussion that's been going around. I think it's if, if your DM looks at it and goes, yeah, whatever. That's, that's not too overpowered, we'll, we'll let you have that. Exactly, exactly. But Flying Snake fits better. Mm -hmm. In terms of the fluff, yeah. but in terms of the actual damage, you want to take Pseudo Dragon because yeah. it, ha it has a poison stinger that can give the poison condition, and usually it's a DC 11 constitution saving throw. But Buggerlugs here took the Rod of the Pact Keeper. Ah, okay. Which is the magic item, and that adds a plus one to your spell attack rolls and to the saving throw DCs of your Warlock spells. So the wording on that is it adds it to your spell save DC yeah. and the Pact of the Chain, the Eldritch Invocation that you took, means that they can use your spell save DC. It does say so here just ties... for Warlock spells. So you'd have to have a if chat with your DM. If you're multi-classing as well, I know Pact of the Tome specifically says that any of the extra cantrips that you take count as Warlock cantrips. Mm -hmm. So it would mean that you would gain the benefit of Rod of the Pact Keeper if you had Pact of the Tome. It says it uses your spell save DC, an investment of the Chainmaster, I think it is. And that says it adds to your spell save, save DC. Of your Warlock spells. Yeah. So I don't know if the plus one would work there. Either way, I've got a plus four. Like At that point, a plus four or a plus five. You know. Mm. In addition, you can regain one Warlock spell slot as an action whilst holding the rod. You can't use this property again until you finish a long rest. So it's at low levels, that's like mini short rest. Yeah, it's good because Warlocks do have a bit of a deficiency in the amount of spell slots available to them. <laughs> so having a magic item that just gives you one back is really useful. 
you know, a lot of other classes like might not find it that useful, but Warlocks particularly is mm-hmm. a huge bonus. I mean, at level five, that's a third level spell slot you can just get back. Yeah. Once a day. Like, yeah, well, I need Flaming Sphere or similar. Mm. I don't know if you get Flaming Sphere, but you know what I mean. I took um, crossbow bolts and the light crossbow and leather armor. I probably should have bought some studded leather armor, um, mm. but I think I was asleep when I did this okay, um, and forgot to do that. In terms of spells, I took Blade Ward. All right. Because I can cast that on myself and fly around up there, out the way. Mm-hmm. And I can be resistant to damage. Okay. And I can make my little... Because that's what Blade Ward does. It's resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage dealt by weapon attacks. Very situational. It's not my main thing. I'm saying it first because it's the first in alphabetical order. Yeah. I took it so that I can do that, and I can also give my familiar resistance as well. Oh, okay. As a reaction. So I'm resistant to damage. My familiar's resistant to damage. Happy days. Yes. I took Eldritch Blast. Mm-hmm. I do have a plus eight to hit. Wow. Which is nice. fairly chunky. That's very nice. That's very nice. And it's 1d10 plus 4. I was going to say for the, the rogue that you built had like a plus 10 to hit. <laughs> and there were so many things that you had to put into the rogue. Like that became the whole focus of it, giving it yeah, the plus yeah, 10 yeah, to yeah. hit. Whereas with that, you've just got plus 8 to hit. Yeah. Because you're very good at, at being a, a warlock. warlock. And you get plus 1 from the Rod of the Pack Keeper. Yeah. But even then, that's a plus 7 without the Rod of the Pack Keeper. So pretty good. You get light and sacred flame as bonuses. Mm-hmm. Sacred t- flame I like, and I don't think enough people talk about it, because you've got radiant, which is not that widely resisted. True. Obviously, you do double damage to any undead, which a lot of the set modules are going to involve undead at some point, and they're, they're a very popular choice for DMs because you can buy a big bag of skeletons. We should say that most undead are weak to Radiant, but not all. Not all, but yep. if your DM is just starting out and they're looking to get themselves a big bag of enemies, it's going to be the goblins or skeletons that they're going to get. Yeah, or um, goblin skeletons, if you can yeah. find that. Or I think somebody 3 print 3D printed them and put them in a jar, but last year I got a big jar of minis, zombies, skeletons. There's mages, there's all sorts in there. Two giant slash ogre type size yeah, creatures. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's very likely that you will face undead because they're such a classic D&D staple. At some point you're going to end up against yeah, undead. Absolutely. And also the fact it ignores cover, doesn't it? Cover, yeah. yeah, it ignores cover. It ignores cover. The Neverwinter MMO had a good way of doing this, which was again, it's it's based on a previous edition of D and D, so it was your at will mm-hmm. power. But with that, whenever you cast it on something, there's the caster gets like this little glow in their hand like that, and then the flame just springs up straight underneath them. So you're kind of going bang, bang bang like that so that sort of gives you a, a flare of why it ignores cover because you just sort of bang and then it they are ignited in sacred absolutely flame. worth pointing out i would still use eldritch blast over sacred flame i think it's, it's a nice one to have if you're facing chump undead that are weak to radiant damage you can just bang on one with sacred flame you're better at statistics and stuff than i am but i mean i'm looking at well you're definitely better than i am is what i'm saying mm. That's 2d8, but that's like a potential of just being two. Yeah. Whereas with Eldritch Blast, with Eldritch Blast, because you've got the Same. plus the damage on each thing, that means the minimum is ten on it is much larger. And as we've said before, there's really not that many things that resist force damage. There are 
ever so slightly more things. I don't know this for certain audience, but I believe there are a few more things that are resistant to radiant than there are force. Okay. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head which has immunity or resistance to force is a helmed horror. And I might have got that confused with the Death Knight. It's one of the two. I think it has a Helm Horror, though. But both of those spells, there's not many things that resist them. So, if, as I said before, if you've got a wizard who's running around the battlefield with Firebolt, you know, and a Fire Elemental pops up, they're like, well, shit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you get Gust of Wind as part of the Wind Caller feature. I took Armour of Agathis because... Because I, of course you would. Um, I, I love Armour of Agathis. If you can get Armour of Agathis on your character, put mm. Armour of Agathis on your character. I think it's a great spell that can provide a lot. You get Find Familiar as part of this. Flaming Sphere oh, uh, right. is an optional spell, and I took it. It is concentration, but it does 3d6 fire damage, and it's a dex 16 saving throw. It's basically a 5-foot diameter sphere of fire appears in an unoccupied space of your choice within range and lasts for the duration. Any creature that ends its turn within five feet of the sphere must make a dexterity saving throw. The creature takes 2d6 fire damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. As a bonus action, you can move the sphere up to 30 feet. If you ram the sphere into a creature, that creature must make the saving throw against the sphere's damage and the sphere stops moving this turn. Uh, You can direct it over barriers up to five feet tall and jump it across pits up to ten feet wide. The sphere ignites when all objects not being worn or carried, and it sheds bright light in a twenty-foot radius and dim light for an additional twenty feet. Hmm. So it's um, it's pretty good. I like yeah. it. How much damage is fireball? Eight d six. Oh, I don't know. I've got a PHB here. Yeah? Eight d six. Good lord. There is the potential for this to do more damage. Hmm. Admittedly, it would have to be surrounded by eight enemies, and then it becomes sixteen d six. Say there's a square of enemies. Mm. If you plopped it in the middle, you could be doing 2d6 to all eight of those enemies. Yeah. Which would be 16d6. All right, okay. Unlikely. Not particularly likely, but I mean... You you don't get fireball as a warlock, so... The instant that you said fire damage, I was thinking, like, if you built for that spell and elemental adept. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that you can use your bonus action to just roll it around the battlefield causing chaos. That's a great spell. Absolutely. I took Guiding Bolt, which I think this is another one you have to take. Warlocks are weird. They get an expanded spell list, but it's an option for them to take it. You don't just get it. Mm. So you can choose to take the extra spells as a warlock. It's a bit weird. I think they should just be given them. Guiding Bolt is a first or second level spell that you can take. As a warlock, I kept it because the damage scales. Yeah. Hold person I took, revivify I took, because just in case. Yeah. I obviously didn't spend any money on a revivify gem, but mm. more than likely by that point, your DM's probably going to give you one. I really think with spells like revivify and even gentle repose, I feel like if you can make space for those in your spell loadout your party will be grateful for mm-hmm. it because not having a player die, I think a DMs in general are more flexible. You know, at our table where like Cesare, we gentle reposed him and then vacuum sealed him in the bag of holding and then <laughs> transported him back to the spires where there are clerics just doing gentle repose until every, we can find something. Every other day. To, yeah, yeah. So we, until we can find something to restore him. So I think a lot of modern DMs are a bit more sort of, flexible about characters dying and things like that but i think having revivify gentle repose and things like that if you can fit them in your spell loadout it's people are going to be very thankful it's going to be clutch when you can do it yeah uh, lesser restoration is also available 
mm-hmm. to Celestial Warlocks. I got rid of it because it doesn't scale. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Vampiric Touch, because I wanted to give myself some healing. Yeah, that's a good that one. was outside of the cool extra healing you get as a Celestial Warlock. I think I, I, I had that on the Kenku. Vampiric Touch. I'm, you might pretty, have done. I'm pretty sure I had it as... as no, you had Inflict yeah. Wounds. No, I had Inflict Wounds, but I think I also had oh, Vampiric right, okay. Touch. Or I think there was a version of the build that I did oh, where right, I had so. Vampiric Touch, but it is a really good one. The Celestial Warlock gets mini healing word? Yeah, I thought that as well, because I thought when I get into my build, I'll, I'll get into it, but I thought like healing word would be so good for my build, but it's you kind like of already got how many? It's equal to... Is it two it's, times? It's one d six per point you spend, and you I can know, spend I'm trying to work up out to four. Why it's six points? Because I'm level five. Is it something like twice proficiency bonus? Sorry, I will just look this up. If you tap the ability on the thing, it should give you the full description. Oh well, that's just too useful. Can't be dealing with that. No, I, I will do that. Thank you. I oh, one plus your warlock level. I discovered that you could do that the other day. So. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, Healing Light, it's one plus your Warlock level. Mm. How fucking useful would that have been in the past? Yeah. I know. It would have been amazing if we'd known that. Yeah, I would have saved poor editing Simon his hernia. <laughs> oh, is that old thing coming back? Poor the side of his face as well. That's what's <laughs> the worst thing. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah. I've got I've not much, got much to say, really. It was more of a feeling, this mm-hmm. character. They have proficiency in drum because you get a instrument as part mm. of the background. And I was trying to work out what instrument could a creature with talons actually play? Because, mm. you know, if my nails get beyond a certain length <laughs> on my left hand, I can't play guitar. Yeah. I'm, imagine trying to play a violin. Aracogra have the wings and arms. They though, do don't have they? that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, so they're talons, though. I, it'd be a pain in the ass to play the flute as well. So I went, drum, that'll do. So they just hit the drum. Oh. See, I did have a background that gave me an instrument, and I chose horn, because <laughs> I was thinking Porkmen from Flash Gordon. Yeah, I was thinking that, <laughs> yeah. until I realised they don't have lips, so how do they blow? Fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. yeah, they wouldn't. <laughs> the best they'd be able to do is just, like, squawk into it and have it, like, or, or amplify like, the put, squawk. Put it up a nostril or in yeah. the side of their mouth or something? I don't know. This is a bit ridiculous. You wouldn't but, be able to get an umbrature from the nostril. No, no, unless, no. I mean, you could kind of... <laughs> Down the horn. Exactly. <laughs> the weird practicalities of D&D. I know, I know. Other than that, this is Brill Neil. Mm-hmm. He's fun. I like him. Yeah. I would quite like the opportunity to play an Aracocra. There's no weird trick or anything to my build, by the mm. way. It is simply you fly around out the way mm. with your 66 of healing that you get. Yeah. Your familiar goes around. Either um, helping the paladin, helping the frontline fighter. I shall stop saying paladin. But, you know, your barbarian and your fighter, etc. Give them advantage. Mm. Or is attacking as your bonus action. And you're either up there giving people healing as an action. Or you're shooting out okay. Eldritch Blast, an agonizing blast. Way out of range where they can't hit you. Yeah. And then if someone starts to fly up to you, you go, oh, shite. Blade Ward. Well, this might actually break with podcast etiquette by saying that's a nice segue into my character. <laughs> oh, go on. Because the theme that I thought with my character is air support. Right. If you think about it in terms of battlefield tactics or anything, like having air support, having verticality to what mm-hmm. the enemy needs to think about is huge in yeah. terms of what it can add. And just to point out, that is why a lot of DMs ban Aracocra at the table. Because having, it's adding the it's adding the Z axis when yeah. you don't usually have to consider it. 
having built an Aracocra, I really think that there needs to be some sort of exhaustion rules or they need to land regularly or something like that there there still needs to be a bit of a pullback i mean they've pulled them back i think we've mentioned previously they did have a 50 foot fly speed speed just uncontested every turn yeah so they were better flying all the time i did look up the rules on flying and it doesn't seem to ever hit in combat because there's rules about if you get over, like, I think it's a couple of thousand feet in the air. Like, if you're talking about your character is flying over a continent outside of combat, mm-hmm. there's rules for exhaustion and stuff like that and remaining in flight for too long. Yeah, yeah. But that's like a couple of hours and things like that. So in your average combat, if you're flying above the combat, the only situation that it ever really comes up as a problem is if you receive the prone condition or you receive, I think it's the incapacitated condition. Where you're also prone. Yeah. yeah. Unless you are magically elevated, like the fly spell magically elevates you, so you just hang in midair. If yeah. you have a natural flying speed, then if you get knocked prone or are incapacitated, I think it is, then you fall and you take falling damage. There is a thing in the rules called hover. Take the beholder. Because mm-hmm. this is just going to be the easiest for people to look at. Because yeah. it's near the front of the book. If you look at a beholder, it will say that it has a flying speed of whatever. That's not important. But it will also have brackets hover. And what hover means is that if you knock it prone, it is prone in the air and oh, does okay, not fall. Yeah. And I don't believe the fly spell oh, okay. actually gives you hover. Yeah. I think... Levitate is your you are hovering. Let I me think. just check essentially gives you hover yeah yeah okay you still fall but you fall slowly and gently to the ground well bearing that in mind this air support character is called shrike cool. which is a name for a butcher bird. i'm going to use the wrong term here but it's the name for a group of birds mm-hmm. that have hooked beaks eat insects and most importantly the shrike name comes from an old English term for a bird that dives bombs. You mentioned the butcher bird, which yeah. is a specific thing in Australia, which yeah, they're more of a problem in Aust- in Australia because they dive bomb people. As with everything in Australia, nature will just fuck you up. Man, I'm surprised they don't have squirrels with lightsaber tails. Yeah, uh, Just everything out there is designed to yeah. kill you. Well, they've, they've got drop bears. That's bad enough. So, yeah, but I was literally just reading James Felton's Things You Probably Don't Want to Know, or I think it's called something like that. Mm-hmm. In that, he was saying about the butcher birds in Australia are they remember people. So if they dive bomb you, <laughs> you basically you have to change your route to not go back to that spot. Because if you hit them in the wrong season and they dive bomb you, every time they see you, they'll be like, it's that fucker. They'll <laughs> target you so there's people who regularly have to just change their routes because there's one of these birds has decided that you must die Mm. so yeah that's where the name shrike came from and it's also just a really good term for something that dive bombs Mm. so shrike for the background i've just chosen folk hero Mm -hmm. and to be absolutely honest it's because i was just imagining this guy going as air support flying above the battlefield swooping down this is a D &D superhero 
Right. So okay. this is a straight up Marvel superhero. Right. right? Okay. The personality traits that I've chosen are very reflective of that. Okay, great. Uh, thinking is for other people. I prefer action. <laughs> As well with the stats that I've got for this, this is kind of a himbo. Right, great. Um, you specialise in those. The sort of Captain Hammer kind of... Not as evil at heart as Captain Hammer, but yeah, you know, yeah, in, I know in terms of the that sort of Nathan Fillion portrayal. Booster Gold, if you're more familiar with um, DC. If someone is in trouble, I'm always ready to lend help. Ideals. Freedom. Tyrants must not be allowed to oppress the people. Bonds. I protect those who cannot protect themselves. And flaws. The tyrant who rules my land will stop at nothing to see me killed. So this is this is very much just straight up like a superhero. A hero, right, yeah. But instead of having like magical flight like Superman yeah, or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. any of the other numerous heroes, you know, they've just got wings. Yeah. Like um Hawkman? Yeah, yeah, exactly like Hawkman. Except yeah. Hawkman is vastly intelligent and not really a himbo. I, well, I don't know that much about DC Comics, I'm a Marvel yeah. boy. You're not, you fucking love Batman. Batman's Batman. <laughs> right, there's a difference between being a DC fan and really liking Batman. No, that's fair. That's a fair point. It's like I've, uh, I've just uh, always thought of you as more of a DC person because you like Batman so much. I am a Gotham person, not the entirety oh, of fair DC. Enough, fair enough, yeah. yeah. As soon as Superman turns up in his red pants, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 15 went in Charisma. Yep. Uh, 14 went in Dexterity. Understand. 13 in Constitution. Mm-hmm. 12 in Wisdom. 10 in Intelligence. 8 in Strength. So that gives me totals of 8 Strength, 16 Dex, 13 Constitution, uneven number. I hate it. Intelligence 10, Wisdom 12, and Charisma 16. Right. So fairly respectable scores there. Did you not take an ASI? I didn't take an ASI. My... Increased two scores, I chose plus one in Charisma and plus two to Dex. Okay. Again, I didn't take the ASI because the way that I've distributed the levels on this, I am a Celestial Warlock level three. Mm-hmm. I'm a Divine Soul Sorcerer level two. I was very tempted to do this myself, so it's, I'm really interested. It's very... I still don't 100% understand <laughs> the Sorlock swapping yeah, spell yeah, slots yeah, yeah. thing. But taking Divine Soul Sorcerer to level two means that you do get those two metamagic points Mm -hmm. and you can use those to get yourself a spell slot back on a short rest. So similar to what we were saying about the Rod of the Pact Keeper just giving you an extra spell slot back, which is amazing Mm -hmm. for a Warlock. The Warlock has that extra spell slot that they can get back with the metamagic points. They also have three level one slots that they get back on a long rest. I see. And they have a bunch of extra spells. Would it not be some level two slots? No, because it's only two levels of... It's only two levels of Divine Soul Sorcerer. Yeah, but three levels of Warlock should be... Let me just have a look at my spells. I'm glad I looked I'll run through them, because they are the the trick that I went for. Okay. Okay? Now see at what point this, this clicks. Right. So, I have Eldritch Blast. Yes. I have Frostbite, which is good because that's a con save and it hits them with a... I think I know where this is going. Okay, I've got Guidance. Okay. I've got Light. I've got Message. I've got Mind Sliver. I've got Prestidigitation. I've got Sacred Flame. I've got Spare the Dying. I've got Thorn Whip. (laughs) And I've got Toll the Dead. 
How many cantrips in total is that? Eleven. <laughs> I've got eleven cantrips, so right. I have decided to counter the warlock problem of oh no, I don't have enough spell slots. By I've got all the, the fucking can- cantrips. cantrips. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a wis- I've got told the dead, which is a wisdom save. You've got sacred flame, which is a dex save. Yep. You've got mind sliver, which is an intelligence save that nobody has intelligence saves. Yeah. And and then that also gives them a d4 off the next saving throw that they make. If they've got good saves, like if you're against a high level paladin, you've got Eldritch Blast, Blast yeah. which is only plus six in my case, but that's still pretty healthy. That's pretty healthy. I didn't take Agonizing Blast, so it's only 1d10 damage. Twice. Oh, okay, I'll be interested it's to only see what one, it's only, the rest of it. Yeah, it's only 1d10 twice. So the spells that I've got, I've got Comprehend Languages as a Ritual, because yep. I took Pact of the Tome. Yep, 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 yep. So I've got three ritual spells that I can do. So I chose Comprehend Languages, Find Familiar, and Identify mm-hmm. as the spells from that. So I don't get as fancy a list of familiars, but I can mm-hmm. find myself a familiar. Do you know what you could have done? Mm-hmm. Sorry to interject. You should have taken Shillelagh as one of your cantrips because mm-hmm. you can, and then you would have had something for in close combat as well that would have used your your Prisma mod. I kind of looked at it as if I end up in close combat, I've got loads of cantrips that do a save right. oh, okay. because if you you're not making a ranged attack, so you're not at disadvantage for being in close range. You can still boom Sacred Flame at them yeah. uh, from close range. Hey, buddy. Hello. Let's you're right, buddy. Cuddle, mate. You're right. He's so good. He's very good. You got cure wounds, which you always know because they're associated alignment. alignment. They always know cure wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Featherfall, because as I said, if you get knocked out of the air, there's a lot of situations where you get knocked out of the air and you're gonna take fall damage. If you can do this as a reaction, I know you can't always do a reaction with every status condition, but there's gonna be it, a lot of them where you're still gonna get that chance to it, reaction. It help. helps. It helps. Yeah. You did take hex. I did take hex. Yes. Mm-hmm. I took shield, mm-hmm. which I only got for this because of the divine soul sorcerer. Mm-hmm. It's a sorcerer rather than a divine soul thing, and silvery barbs because if your goal is to be air support and to be flying above the battlefield, fucking shit up, you can really mess with a DM with silvery barbs and shield and silvery barbs. You've got those three first level spell slots, yeah. so you're not worrying about is this competing with the big hitters that I'm using using my warlock spell slots for uh the second level spells that i've got because i only took it to third level warlock i've got darkness which that speaks for itself if you've got i I think i know what invocations you took uh, i did take devil sight because then you can darkness a group of enemies and then you can just (laughs) dive again shrike you can dive bomb them you can mess them up you can shoot at them from above if you want hold person this is kind of an artifact from a previous version of this build. Mm-hmm. Let me just check my notes because I did write it in my notes. And we'll probably discuss this more in the second half. Yeah, yeah. But if as your magic item you took the Gauntlets of Ogre Strength and you took one level of Barbarian for unarmored defense and a shield and you took the Skill Expert feat in Athletics, you could dive down, grab people, fly them up as far as you can and then see how high up you can get them before you just drop them. However, with the build that I've got, you'll be impressed here. This is a little bit of quick maths. I apologize if it's wrong. I'm terrible at maths, but here's how I saw it. Okay. With that build, first turn, you attack them with your talons. The next turn, you bonus action rage, you grapple and you move up 30 foot. Or you could only move up 15 because your speed is halved because you're dragging something you grappled. The third turn, 
you take the dash action and see how far up you can get. That would get you up about 45 foot in the air. So if you drop them from 45 foot, they're taking 1d6 per 10 foot. That would be 4d6 damage. Mm -hmm. So the other thing about that is if you fly up towards your group of melee Mm -hmm. casters and you drop them in the middle of your melee casters and they're prone right next to all of your melee people. Yeah, yeah, very good. However, with this build, because I didn't take the Gauntlets of Ogre Strength Strength, and something like that, the Thorn Whip cantrip. Okay. You pull them up in the air 10 foot. Now, all you have to do is hit them to pull them 10, ten feet foot. towards you. There's nothing in the rules that says that has to be horizontal movement. Nope. So you can be flying above them. You whip them up into the air, in which case they take 2d6 damage from the thorn whip plus 1d6 fall damage plus they're knocked prone. The other options for that are lightning lure which does 2d8 damage, but they get to make a strength save, and if they fail it, they're not pulled and they don't take the damage. So that feels like a more risky one. Does, is Thorn Whip just a attack roll? Thorn Whip is just an attack roll, and if you make the attack roll, you pull them. They don't get a save against the pull. So you're more likely to do the Thorn Whip, but it's only 2d6, whereas Lightning Law is you pull them 10 feet towards you, they get to make a saving throw against it and they only take the damage if they end up within five foot of you. So there's more situational conditions on lightning law, but it, it's like a risk reward thing. If you pull it off, you do 2d8 rather than 2d6, but it's that risk of... I was going to say, well, you want to use lightning law for armoured mm. enemies. An armoured enemy is more likely to have a good strength score yes. anyway to yeah. accommodate that. So, yeah. yeah, I can understand why. Absolutely. You... It's a bit more yeah. of a difficult one to pull off, which is why I think it has got the higher damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Grasp of Hadar, ah. which I didn't look into too much, but that's something you can add to your Eldritch Blast, which allows you to pull them, is it 10 foot towards you? I think it's a bit more than that. If it's 15, then that would be really good. The problem that I saw with it is you can only do it once per turn. So you get two Eldritch Blasts, but you can only do it on one of them. But thinking about it, you could pull them up in the air towards you and then use your second one to just shoot at them. It is only 10 foot. I I honestly thought it was more than that. Yeah, actually, thinking about it, you would want to shoot them first and then use Grasp of Hadar. Because if you use Grasp of Hadar to whip them up in the air, when they fall, they take the extra D6 falling damage and then are knocked prone, and it's a ranged attack. So So, you would be at disadvantage hitting them, even though you're directly above them. I mean, it's almost exactly shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah, so... The grasp of Hadar. You bring them towards you like, what do you, what yeah. do you want for lunch? Plonk. Yeah. It's also one of the few situations that I can think of where you actually have to use Pythagoras' theorem in real life. <laughs> if you're this far away from them horizontally and you're this far off the ground vertically, what's the distance on the hypotenuse work out as? As someone who loves geometry, I feel ever so slightly offended. <laughs> That's why I said it's one of the few situations. I didn't want to say it's the only situation, because it's not the only situation. Every time you buy a TV, guys, gals, and nine binary pals, you are using Pythagoras' theorem, as the the size of your TV is the hypotenuse. I'll take your word for it. I, I love geometry. That's I'm a nice. geometry nerd. Like I say, the version of this that had the gauntlets of ogre strength and had the levels in Barbarian, mm-hmm. this was horrible. They had like 17 AC. Wow. Because they had proficiency with shields. Yeah. So you could have the shield. You had the unarmored defense. There was if you up your constitution a little bit. Why could... Why didn't you keep it? I felt guilty, to be honest. Well, um, I can assure you, Simon, I'd have felt no such guilt. <laughs> 
uh, otherworldly patron we've said is the celestial. the celestial. Yeah, you've got the healing light, which we've said about the eldritch invocations. I did take devil's sight so mm-hmm. that you could use the um, yeah, so you can use the darkness trick, and that would give you advantage on all of you know eldritch blasting bollocks. It's also it's up to a distance of one hundred and twenty feet. So if you want to, you can fly a hundred feet above the battlefield. Unless the enemy is packing longbows, they're going to be at disadvantage to hit you. Yep. And you can still snipe down at them with Eldritch Blast. So if your health starts to get low on this character, you just go high as you can. Do you know yeah. what you should have done with that? What? Darkness Devil Sight and gone rogue and sneak attack the bastards. Oh, you can't do that. You could have stealthed around the back mm. and then just like shot out all the all the longbow people. Yeah. Book of Ancient Secrets you got comprehend languages, identify and find familiar, just because we've said before with sorcerers and with warlocks to a certain extent, you are limited by the amount of spell slots you have, but also the amount of spells known. Mm-hmm. So having like something that can give you a chunk of ritual spells that you can just take 10 minutes to cast outside of combat without using up a spell slot, that's pretty useful if you take utility things. Pact Boon at third level, I chose Pact to the Tone, which gave me Thorn Whip, message and prestidigitation mm-hmm. if you wanted to you could replace prestidigitation with you know shillelagh as you said uh, you could have taken lightning law with that yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can take that anyway as a warlock but that would give you another option for if totally. there's something that you're having trouble hitting with a to hit roll you could try a strength roll to hit them for the divine soul sorcerer i chose divine soul because i thought it fit with the yeah, celestial yeah, yeah, yeah. guidance and mind sliver which Guidance is from the cleric spell list, which Divine Soul Sorcerers get. Mind Sliver is from the Sorcerer. Spare the Dying, so you can swoop down and just, boop, no more death saves for you. Mm -hmm. Featherfall, Shield and Silvery Barbs. Let me just have a look at the class features, because I'm pretty sure there was... Yeah, you get Favoured by the Gods, which is starting at first level, Divine Power Guards Your Destiny. If you fail a saving throw or miss with an attack roll, you can roll 2d4 and add it to the total, possibly changing the outcome. So that might be nice for the thorn whip thing. If you've got yeah. something that you really want to knock somebody prone, you can just add 2d4 to the outcome. You can only use that once a short rest. But for the turn that you do that, you've knocked an enemy prone. Absolutely. And you've had a, a lot of help doing that. You've got Font of Magic, which is because this is only a level two sorcerer, you don't have any meta magic, so you can't quicken no. spell, twin spell, things like that. Although that would definitely be something for the next level would be taking it as sorcerer so that you're getting those metamagic feats and then it's almost obscene what this character can put out in a turn you know that as a divine soul sorcerer you have access to the entire cleric spell list as well the entire cleric spell list that's big it is nice and I like the fact that it has synchronicity with the celestial warlock with the celestial warlock one thing that I did look at is I ended up with 16 armor class. Mm-hmm. That's fairly healthy for That's a great. ranged class. Looking through the, the abilities, I've got animal handling, uh, which I think that's from Folk Hero. Yeah. Arcana plus three, which is the warlock proficiency. What was your magic item? Magic item was, and let me just go through, cloak of protection. Ah, uh, right, right, Which right. gives me plus one to AC and it gives me plus one to all of my saves, which my saves are actually, actually end up pretty good because it's nothing for strength, four to dex saves, two to con saves, plus one to intelligence saves, plus five to wisdom saves, and plus seven to charisma saves. This character is not getting mind controlled. No, absolutely not. Uh, I just want to point out to the listener, if you're going to do this at home... I highly suggest you take your first level of Sorcerer, simply because the save proficiencies are Con and Charisma. 
and that can sometimes save you a feat for Warcaster. You might still be worth taking, but just to point out. Yeah, that was one thing that I looked that has just occurred to me now is it's only a plus two con save. So anything that's concentration is going to be at risk of being knocked off. But with darkness, they're not going to be able to hit you in the first place. No, that's true. That's true. Unlikely um, to. Yeah. For other items, I did get an arcane focus with the Warlock starting kit. Uh, with my 100 GP, I took a pearl mm-hmm. so that I can cast Identify. Mm-hmm. I sold a lot of the starting weapons that came with this because I don't really feel like this character needs to be carrying weapons. Yeah. And I got some studded armor and I got 20 GP worth of charcoal, incense and herbs mm-hmm. for summoning the familiar. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything else that I bought. They have got a shield on them, but because they're not proficient with shields... It gives them disadvantage. It gives on a them disadvantage on a couple of things. Yeah, oh, and they can't cast spells. If yeah. you're not, if you're wearing armor, you're not proficient with. You can't cast All spells. Right, okay, so there's that as well. Yeah, I think they've got a shield because at the point where they had the barbarian thing, mm-hmm. the idea was that they would have the shield and they would have the arcane focus in the other hand, mm-hmm. and they would just like the leveling barbarian was mostly for the unarmed defense and the mm-hmm. ability to use a shield obviously when they want to grapple they would then have to sort of like put everything away and then dive bomb and commit themselves to doing the grapple because you know you can't cast while you're mm. raging you can't maintain concentration on anything while you're raging so with that in mind yeah i've just realized in that case they couldn't have used hex so when they were doing that grappling thing they wouldn't have been able to to throw hex into that but yeah. just normally Having Hex bouncing around a battlefield is, as a bonus action is quite nice. I mean, if you're going to use your concentration on anything, Bane or Bless would be a really nice one to have as air support. As a level one thing, because you've got the extra level one slots to play about with on this build. Mm. Apart from that, I can't really think there's anything... I was thinking of adding, would you play this to this part of the show? I think it would be a good thing to discuss here because we're discussing more specifically our builds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you play the build as it stands? As it stands right now, yeah. I would play this for a one-shot. If I played this version of it, mm-hmm. I might be tempted to play it for a, a shorter campaign. Yeah. I would be worried that, again, where I've chosen a superhero as the archetype for this, I would be worried that it also faces the same problem that you have in a lot of superhero comics, which is essentially the problem solving in a lot of DC things is how do we stall until Superman gets here? Yeah. Because with the character who has the gauntlets of Ogre strength, once they have like 19 strength, they're suddenly they're at a plus four to hit with any melee weapons. You could take a glaive. And you could swoop 10 foot above them so and that they can't hit back. back. Yeah. yeah, you can j- just swoop down and slash at them with glaives and stuff like that. You then kind of become, like you've you've said before, the main character syndrome, mm-hmm. where the concern is you're kind of like, I can do everything. And then there's a risk that other characters will start to feel a bit like, well, what, what am I here for? It is a co- <laughs> It is a cooperative game and you do have to think as well as how do I complement other people's builds you have to also think if somebody turns up with a fighter how do I not make them feel bad by saying like yeah but I can do all of that and I can fly a hundred feet above the battlefield peppering everyone with with arrows they they can't hit me back you know 
Like, if you have a character who can do everything, I know that can be great if you're playing, like, a computer game where you are the main character. Yeah. It can be great if you are playing a one-shot where you're all showing off and being silly. If you're all power players and you all just want to be ridiculous and you're not going with, like, team tactics and, mm-hmm. like, you are the paladin, you are doing this, you are the mage, you are backing up. You know, if you're just doing, like, we are all insanely powerful kind of thing, it could be fun for that. But I think for the build that has the gauntlets of ogre strength i would feel guilty playing it i think it would be fun for a one shot where you're all being silly are, are the ogre strength gauntlets an uncommon item yeah they're only green they if are. it's green it's uncommon oh i had some options for things that i could summon as a familiar which are just spider poisonous snake hawk cat i try to avoid things like weasels because i just imagined like summoning a weasel and then your eagle prey instinct kicking in and just going no no that's mine no (laughs) do not eat the weasel that would be quite funny (laughs) i again i would play mine for a one shot currently i don't think aracocra belong in a campaign yeah, Aracocra have the power build problem where they're a little bit too good. And I think unless you're playing with experienced players who've all turned up with something a bit ridiculous and cunning tricks, you do run the risk of outshining everyone at the table. Yeah. I think that's something you have to be aware of, especially the D&D movie is coming out. They've got the big announcement. Mm-hmm. As we're recording this Thursday, they've got the big announcement about the future of the build. So... Presumably there's going to be a whole load of new players that are going to be attracted because of that. At the moment, there are a lot of newer players thanks to things like Dimension 20, Critical Role, etc., etc. Um, yeah. High Rollers, things like that. There's so many of these actual play things that are being watched by people and people are getting into the hobby through these. There's so many new players who are turning up and if you're going to be playing at a table with new players, I think you want something that supports because there is a risk of somebody turning up and not having fun because everybody was annihilating everything at the table and you're like, I'm I'm a fighter. Yeah. You know. Conversely though, if you gave an Aracocra to a newbie yeah. so they could fly around shooting Eldritch Blasts, etc., they'd probably be quite happy with it. I think they probably would, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they wouldn't... I, I don't know if a newbie would piece together some of the more obscure things, like like on my build, having 120 foot of blindsight. So if it's night, you're just 100 foot up in the air and you're firing Eldritch Blasts. I think it would have to be 95 Why foot. Why do they get... Is that Devil Sight? Devil Sight is 120 foot. Is it 120 foot for Eldritch Blast or is that... It's 120 yeah, so you'd have to be 115, so just in case, so that you're making sure you're hitting everything at ground level. Mm-hmm. So you're flying above the battlefield, you're doing that. Unless they've got longbows and things like that, they're at disadvantage to hit you with any ranged attack. Most spells that have a saving throw only have like 30 or 60 foot range. Uh, so unless they've got spell sniper, they're not anywhere near hitting you. So I don't think a newer player would necessarily spot the well, that's why I said stuff like gave that. to. <laughs> yeah, see, but if you gave them an Aracocra and you, you loaded it up right, I mean, giving them an Aracocra that's got like 11 cantrips, like this one has got, that's fun because then they never need to worry about spell slots. Yeah. And you pitch it to them as, you know, you use your spell slots on the things that are either like big hitter spells that are going to do like multiple D6s of damage or you save it for things where you're giving everybody an extra d4 to hit or you're giving a certain amount of enemies a d4 away from what they're they're doing to hit if you gave them a character like that they could probably have fun with it because they don't really need to worry about spell slots as much Mm. Mm. i'm conscious of the time should we go for break 
Yeah. And then come back to discussion because I've got a couple of bits to discuss. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Okay. And we will return in a second. And welcome back. First off, I want to remove the Aracocra from this build. Okay. So the class of Warlock, how did you find that? There was something you said in a previous episode about when you are looking at spells as somebody who plays a Warlock, you're always looking when you level up and you get your next thing is looking at how it scales up, how it it moves up and things like that. I didn't fully process what you meant by that because I'd never played a full Warlock (laughs) is the fact that with every other class, as you level up, you get your first level spells and then you get your second level spells. You know, so you still got the first level ones that you cast at first level. Mm-hmm. With a warlock, I didn't realize that it's like you have one slot and then you have two slots, and then you have two level two slots and no first level slots. Yeah. And then you have your third level slots and no first and second slots. But you get them back on a short rest. Yeah. It's eventually, the eventually, you get to the point where you've got three slots, mm-hmm. but again, that's they're moving up each time. So it's kind of if you and want they stop at fifth level to cast the first level spell, it's almost like you need to waste a, a second or third level slot on mm-hmm. it, and you've only got two. So it kind of to me when I look at a warlock, the way that I look at playing, and I accept I haven't played them that much. No, no. You might be able to say different, but look, my takeaway on building this character was, you want to save your packed slots for utility things or things things that are going to make support, yeah. going to make a difference to the flow of the battlefield or a big hitter spell that's yep. going to have one massive chunk of damage you really don't want to waste your spells no but unless you're going with pact of the tome which gives you the three extra cantrips from any spell list. Mm-hmm. You're also quite limited on your cantrips as well, aren't you? Because when I built this at third level, I only had two cantrips. So that's two cantrips and two spell slots. And that's really not a lot. I think your cantrip progression is a little faster than other... I've got the book. Yeah, we got a PHB. we got a PHB. Yes, Look at this. Did. This is almost I know, organized. I know when I listed like my build, I kind of made up for that with like 11 bloody cantrips because that's also, you've got the two from Celestial Warlock. No, you're you behind on cantrips as well. Yeah, gives you light and sacred flame. Yeah, so the 20th level Warlock only has four cantrips and four spell slots. Now, Yep, and they're fifth level. But yeah. you also do get your four Mystic Arcanum. They're spells from any spell list? No, they're from the Warlock spell list. Oh, as far as I'm aware, they're from the Warlock spell list. Oh, I'm thinking... No, I'm thinking of something else. Yeah. Uh, so your Mystic Arcanum is one sixth level spell slot, one seventh level spell slot, one eighth level spell slot, and one ninth level spell slot. And as with all things Warlock, you can change them every time you gain a new level. So if you find your 6th level spell slot isn't working for you at 11th level, at 12th level, you can change it. And you can only do that with one spell per level. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. So it does give you some flexibility in terms of that. But... but you do have the invocations. And some of the invocations are, hey, do you like first level spells? Because here's a first level spell for free. Mm. I mean, how useful is blindsight? Being able to see through magical darkness is to a distance of 120 feet as well. That's like probably... Apart from, oh, is it Twilight Cleric or Gloomstalker that's 300 foot? Twilight Cleric. Yeah, so apart from Twilight Cleric, that's like one of the best forms of dark vision 
that you can really get, isn't it? Yeah, just looking through the Eldritch invocations here. Mm. Armor of Shadows. You can cast Mage Armor on yourself at will without expending a spell slot or material components. I really spent a long time agonizing over whether to take that because, as I've said before, uh, when I played a sorcerer as Cesare, especially at lower levels when you need all of the spell slots and the spells known uh, as a sorcerer, being able to cast Mage Armor and not worry about it taking up a spell slot each time, that's a big thing. And again, especially for a Warlock where you're really worrying about the spell slots you've got. You Absolutely. don't want to be wasting it on Mage Armor. I'm just going to list very, very quickly the invocations that give you a spell for free at will. Armor of Shadows gives you Mage Armor. Beast Speech gives you Speak with Animals. Eldritch Sight gives you Detect Magic. Fiendish Vigor gives you False Life. That's a good will, one. At will. Mask of Many Faces gives you Disguise Self. You see on uh, Critical Role Campaign 2, you can really have some fun with that. Uh, Misty Visions give you Silent Image at will. Level 15 Visions of Distant Realms gives you Arcane Eye at will. Ninth level Otherworldly Leap gives you Jump at will. Hmm. At ninth level, you get Speak with Dead at will. There might even be one that's... Didn't Tasha's add a bunch of them? Yeah. Chains of Carceri, which is a Pact of the Chain feature at 15th level, you can cast Hold Monster at will, but it's once per long... I don't know why it says at will. Hmm. Um, it doesn't cost a spell slot, doesn't cost material component, and you must finish a long rest before you can... Oh, before you can use this invocation on the same creature again. So you can use it... You can use it on, on different, different creatures. creatures. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, one thing that I meant to mention in the first half, actually, was that one of the reasons that I took Hold Person was because if it succeeds... Paralyzed. Pers- yeah, the paralyzed condition, which means they automatically fail strength and dexterity things. Yeah. So you can just pick them up and fly off with them. You don't actually need your Gauntlets of Ogre Power. Yeah. Well, the Gauntlets of Ogre Power, you can pick people up every turn. You can pick them up whenever you want. You know, with yeah, yeah. Um, Hold Person, you can only do it for as many times as you've got spell slots. But equally... If you do cast Hold Person, or going back to it being an Arakokra, if you had that on a high level Arakokra, you could just like bop, bop, pick them up, drop them. I mean, where's the Hold Person at will? I, I... Oh, sorry, Hold Monster at will that you were saying. Oh, yeah, about. yeah, that's changed. That's 15th level pack to the chain. Yeah, so you'd be talking about a higher level thing, but in higher level campaigns, being able to just like. Just Hold Monster. Yeah. When because you can try it on a different one, it's like, oh, it didn't work on that one. I'll just work my way around the battlefield until it does work on one. Yeah, exactly. And then that's the one that I'll pick up. Ascendant Step at ninth level allows you to cast Levitate on yourself at will. I'm not going to go through the other the other ones from other books, and there's no need for there's no need for anyone to look it up. I'm just pointing out they get them, and some of them are incredible. Yeah, I think we mentioned this in a, the episode about the Drow Rogue because I'd thought, oh, I want the four levels in Rogue so I can get the feet. Because of that, you know, if you if you take two levels of Warlock, you get two invocations. Yep. If you've got three level, five levels of Warlock, you get three of them, don't you? Yeah, so you had three. It's two, five, nine, fifteen, I think. Yeah, three levels, four levels. One levels, of, one of the things that occurred to me that was weird about it is it's kind of backwards the way you get them because you get the invocations at level two, but when you take your packed feature at level three, it opens up a bunch of invocations. And you, can, you can swap an old one for a new one. You can swap an old one for a new one, but it just seems a bit backwards that at, when you first get your pact, you can only take one invocation to do with that pact. Yeah. But 
as you level up after that point, you can start looking at more and more of them as they open up. I think, I said this, I think it was last week or the week before, I can't quite remember. I think you would really like Warlocks. It was it was the Drow episode. Yeah. I think you would really like playing a Warlock, simply because you've said before you have like a, a chronic restart syndrome. Yeah. And with a Warlock, you can just restart. It's yeah. not that hard. Every level, all right, I'm going to change a spell, and I'm going to change an invocation. If you're about to do an infiltration campaign, right, you can just go, yeah, I'll um, just take a mask of many faces. Make myself look like a god. Yeah. It's at will. It turns first level spells into cantrips for Mm. warlocks. There are other spells in there as well. Um, There's one, I think it's something of many forms, that allows you to cast polymorph as a warlock spell once per day. Yeah, there's one of them that lets you cast alter self Master of Myriad Forms is the one that gives you Alter Self. That's the one, yeah. It's quite a high level, you get it. And Alter Self, I think we've mentioned this in a Sorcerer episode before. Something like that. Similar to what I was saying before about like having the limitation on how many spells you know. Alter Self is a good one because it's multifunctional. You can use it as Disguise Self. Whereas with Disguise Self, if somebody touches you there's a good chance that like, they'll touch your shoulder where there should be a, an armour plate or mm-hmm. something. They'll be more likely to be able to see through the illusion. Alter self, you just alter your physical appearance, so you are the thing. It's so much more difficult to, to tell that something's going on. You can give yourself the ability to breathe underwater. You can give yourself a swimming speed. You can give yourself natural weapons with it. You, I think you can give yourself like claws or yep, teeth yep. with it. It's, it's a really flexible spell and so because of that if you're playing a class that has a problem with the number of spells that they can know having a spell that has multiple functions is really useful what is the one that gives you polymorph just while i'm here sculptor of flesh which is a great name no yeah well it's like the 14th level thing for aberrant mind is called revelation in flesh Flesh. which is just a great name adding the aracocra back in then hmm I think the Aracocra complicates the build because you think, I can fly. Mm. What do I do with my flight? Yeah. And I'm thinking about my uh, Wood Elf Warlock, who is a cocky little shit and he's a hex blade and there's all the other stuff mm. that goes with it. But for him, it's fairly simple. I do the stabbies mm. and I've now taken an invocation that allows me to do two stabbies. And with fl- if he could fly as well. I would be thinking, okay, right, so I'm not doing stabbies, I need to do shooties. And because I'm doing shooties, I need to take this and I need to take this. And I think that overcomplicates things a little bit for me. I think you can start to then get into a, oh, well, I have this, so I have to take this. Like I was saying about you could fly 10 feet above the battlefield with a glaive. Mm. You know, they can't hit you, but you can hit them. But then once you start to get into that, you're then probably going to be tempted to think, I want to take Polar Master. I want to take this. I want to do this. You know, you're then starting to get into the temptation of thinking. I could go pack to the blade. Yeah, if I go pack to the, the blade, blade and then and I've got my Eldritch Smites on the offhand attack and all of that malarkey i guess that's something that's important to say about the warlock though is like so far in this discussion in the second half i've mostly been looking at them as spellcasters but they are designed so that they can do melee and they can do spellcasting they can they're kind of supposed to be not like jack of all trades really because they're definitely master of none mm-hmm. they have problems in terms of the amount of spells they know and in terms of melee, unless you've got like medium armor, hexblade of the blades, yeah, is unless, unless you've got proficiency in like the shields and the medium armor, 
you're going to have problems in melee. Yeah. Like, I took all of that extra effort to have that Gauntlet of Ogre Strength version of the build had the Barbarian level in it. Just Because that makes just up the, for yeah. the unarmed thing. Mm-hmm. Coming back to the Arakokra, previous versions of the Arakokra used to be accused of being absolutely ludicrous because they could fly with heavy armor uh, the one that had like the 50 foot fly speed and used to be able to have heavy armor it used to be insane right now they only get the 50 foot flying speed if they have light armor i mean now they only get it equal to their walking speed but if you take mobile feet that gives you an extra 10 foot walking speed you take a monk or a barbarian oh yeah of the whole time i was looking at this there were so many things that i was thinking god if you did arakokra monk <laughs> like at level one, particularly, because mm-hmm. they have the thing with the claws. I'm level eight as a monk now mm-hmm. with Bodron. Mm-hmm. I'm still only doing D6 on my unarmed strikes. Mm-hmm. At level one, they're getting D6 slashing on their unarmed strikes. I mean, what you'd have to get to level four before you could get your first feet. So you'd have to get to level four before you could have an Arakokra monk with mobile. But once you've got that, that's silly. Because how many hits per round can you take? I mean, you really would be a Shrike at that point. You know, you're swooping over the battlefield like, pop, you don't get an opportunity attack. Pop, you don't get an opportunity attack. Pop, you know, you're sweeping over, you're just like, bop, 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 bop all your yeah. way across the battlefield. And then you use the last of the movement to just move up to the point, fly oh, up a yeah. little bit so they can't hit you. God damn it. Yeah, it did occur to me a lot when I was building this, like, Arakokra would make a great monk. We said this as well with other builds. Like, if I'd done that thing with the Gauntlets of Ogre Strength and stuff like that, it was a neat extra to fit onto a Warlock. But at that point, it would have felt like you would have had much better results just playing a Barbarian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Arakokra. Because then you could oh, take... God, that's terrifying. You could just take it to higher level. You could put the... Imagine an Arakokra, Path of the Matotum Warrior Barbarian. Yeah. Resistant to all damage. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, when I was thinking about tricks like this, I was thinking, ah, oh, it gets in the way of this Warlock thing, or it gets in the way of this. Like, if you just took three levels in Barbarian as an Arakokra, I mean... There's got to be other things you could take on top of that. You could take, what, two levels of fighter, mm-hmm. so your action surging and stuff like that. There's so many things that you could do. Mm-hmm. As I think a barbarian would suit an Arakokra more, mostly because you have the limitation of you can't use heavy armor. Yeah, because if you're doing that as well, you don't need to load into Charisma. The points that I was loading into Charisma to be a good Warlock, you don't need to load them. You can put them into Constitution. You can mm-hmm. put them into like Strength and Dex so that you've got more unarmed defense. And you've Spirit, got Shroud, Spirit Shroud is on there, yeah. on the Warlock spell list, and you can just add a D8 to your attacks, weapon attacks, melee weapon attacks, I think, more accurately. But you're right. The Arakokra kind of... It complicates the Warlock build because it starts you down this path of thinking like... Oh, and I could take this and I could take that. Yeah, how am I going to do this? Yeah. Sort of thing. Not in a Matt Mercer way. I was listening to an, an episode before where we were talking about bonus actions. And not mm. to bring the whole debate up again because we don't need to. Yeah. But one of the things I was trying to say was that when we're talking about extra bonus actions, extra actions, and the amount of options that one has... Mm. Like, oh, a ranger with two levels of rogue, so I get all those extra bonus actions. If you already have spells that can do more than that, that would just take away from you taking that spell. Yeah. And then that kind of takes away the point of you having spells in the first place. You know, you're like, well, I can do that for free, but I don't get my extra damage from Zephyr Strike, etc., etc. Yeah. And I think it's kind of the same with this. When when you have 
yeah, but I can fly. It's different because like we're building from a specific race, class and subclass mm-hmm. that are randomly assigned. But I think if there's like the beautiful people at home, if they're making it for themselves, then they're not limited by that. So no. I think it can be more difficult when you have that freedom of I can do anything. Mm-hmm you can really start to get lost in oh i could do this and i could do this and i could do this yeah and the worst thing is when you find yourself going down that spiral and then just out of nowhere this thought comes in and says yeah but what you're building is a barbarian why not just look at building barbarian and that's a further complication in the process absolutely absolutely it's just that sometimes when you are presented with so many options you start to lose focus of instead of it being right for combat i want this for exploration i want this and for social encounters, I want this. Because those yeah. are the three pillars of play. I mentioned discipline. It takes a certain amount of discipline to go, no, this is what I want for this. And this is what I want for this. Hmm. I'm guilty sometimes of building my characters to just have a bunch of damaging cantrips. Because yeah. I'm like, what if I come across something with fire resistance? What if I come across something with ice resistance? Or frost resistance, we call it. Which is kind of the thing that I've done with mine is mm. I've I've got this which is a con save I've got this which is a deck save so I also took a couple of social cantrips so that you've got a mm-hmm. lot of things you can do outside of combat as well, but equally it's a lot of cantrips and really what you want is a melee attack. I sometimes think going back to something that I know was from fourth edition. You had your at-will abilities, which in terms of a melee class would be, you know, 4th edition often gets accused of turning everything into a mage because you have sort of your at-wills and then you have your once per encounter, you have once per day, you have things that you need like various points or abilities to charge up for. That's kind of where my knowledge of 4th gets a bit grey is is where it extends beyond that. But you have like your at-will as a fighter is hit things with the weapon that you have equipped. And then there's, you have other things like you can knock someone back, you can do this, you you do all of these things. They're referred to as at-will abilities and with a warlock the temptation, I think, is to think my at-wills are my cantrips. But you also have to think, like, the thing that you do with your action mm-hmm. is also attack something with a melee weapon or a ranged weapon. Mm. So warlocks, it's kind of the at-will thing, the thing that you want to be doing when you've run out of spell slots, when you've run out of dailies, when you've run out of all of your things that have a charge yeah. that needs to recharge before you can use it again. Once you've run out of all of your charges of dailies, short rest, long rest, yeah. things like that, that's the thing you're going to be relying on. Mm. And Warlocks have a great flexibility because Eldritch Blast is a very good cantrip. Yep. So having that as like, if you're at range... I'm going to cast Eldritch Blast on them. If you're up close, I'm going to draw my weapon and I'm going to use my weapon on them. I've got a question for you. Yeah? This comes courtesy of Jacob from XP to level 3. What, personally or just from something he said on... Something he said in a video. He doesn't like the fact that all the Warlocks get Eldritch Blast. All right. And I've been thinking for a while that there should be a signature cantrip for each Warlock patron. And then you would be able to add your charisma modifier to the damage for each of them. So yes. f- so for the for the fiend firebolt for the celestial sacred flame. Yeah, you've kind of got that but you do get it for free because you're a celestial. But if it were, instead of agonizing blast it was better signature cantrip. I can't think of a yeah. cool name off the top of my head. Yeah, that would be a really nice homebrew definitely. Yeah, I think it would. 
I think warlocks in general have kind of stumbled into the and I Eldritch Blast. And I moved my hex and I Eldritch Blast. Yeah, that is a very obvious thing yeah. for a I mean my my use. build is I fly and I Eldritch Blast and then my little buddy mm. does a stabby with his beaky. I think maybe the reason for that is because of what I was saying about the spell slots. Mm-hmm. You want something that's going to keep going. And a lot of the time, like if you cast darkness, you know, after a turn or two, things will just run away from the darkness. Mm-hmm. Or they'll just keep running in one direction until they run out of the darkness, this sort of thing. The same with a lot of area of effect spells or things that are going to keep going. Because you've got so few spell slots, you want to cast something that keeps going, that does something on every subsequent turn. So like you were saying about the Flaming Sphere, you cast that and then you've got a Flaming Sphere that's rolling around the battlefield that you're controlling with your action and you're getting really good mileage out of that, out of one of your very limited number of spell slots because you're keeping it going on your bonus action. If you've got Hex, you're keeping that hopping around the battlefield with your bonus action. So I think that's maybe why things like Hex are so popular for Warlocks. I know there's some of them get Bane for some reason. But I think, again, that's why you want to make the best use out of your spell slots. You want to be either having something that persists and continues to cause a problem for the enemy... Mm-hmm. rather than casting like a one-and-done big payload spell. Again, big payload spell is great in terms of removing a big enemy, enemy yeah. like you've said before, but if you're just using like Guiding Bolt, mm. only gives you advantage on the next hit against them or something, Yes, that doesn't really persist beyond that initial chunk of damage. It does do 66 at level th- well, a third level spell slot. Yeah, it does It does on yours, but, I mean, if you're only a first-level Warlock, it's not going to be a great choice because it's not a huge chunk of damage. And it doesn't keep going the way other spells do. True, but this comes to the party composition thing, whereby yeah. you've now given your rogue sneak attack. Would a rogue get sneak attack on someone who's prone? Yes, I believe so. Because, because you've got advantage. advantage. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes, okay. yes. I'm, I'm just looking through the... Um, the cantrips yeah for the entirety of 5e and i I just want to like put the cat amongst the pigeons as it were well if you're looking at all of them across uh that are available to spellcasters in fifth edition Mm. if you have pact of the tome you have access to any of these yeah exactly really good point but imagine if the archfey patron gave you vicious mockery and it was the signature cantrip and thus you could add your charisma modifier i'm just going through them like really briefly Fiend, put Firebolt on there or produce Flame, etc. You know. Yeah. The Great Old One, keep that Eldritch Blast. I would be tempted if they were going to do that would be to have, to give them a cantrip and a first level spell that works off that, like, you get a free cast of it once per, you get a free cast, you get a free cast of it once per short rest and then you can use spell slots on it. I would be very tempted to have like a thematic list of first level spells you can pick from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think really that I think that would feel really nice. Uh, it would and be difficult have... to balance, but there is a let's just point something out here about the class. We haven't quite gone into the subclass, which I do want to talk about, but yeah. for the class itself, some people will bemoan the fact that warlocks in the current way that D&D is played are shit <laughs> because most people get one combat encounter a day. Yeah. Uh, and not four to six, which is yeah. what the, the thing does. Now, the dungeon dudes, their idea is to give 
the warlock spell slots equal to their proficiency bonus. So it wouldn't rise with proficiency bonus, it would just be equal to. So for the first four levels, you get two spell slots. For the next few levels, you get three spell slots. Then you get four, then you get five. And then six eventually, I think you get a six. Possibly, I don't... Yeah, whatever. At later tiers of play, you get more and more spell slots. You know, they don't have to go above fifth level. Yeah. And that means that when you get a short rest, your warlock is like, yeah, bitches, I got all (laughs) my spell slots back and feels like a big boy. Yeah. And when your warlock doesn't get to take a short rest, mm. they're still fucked. However, your thing where you get a one first level spell slot per short rest and it just stays at first level, mm. I think that's a really good way of balancing it. Because for the Hexblade, it could be shield. Oh, God, yeah. Shield would be a beautiful one on a Hexblade. Because at least then you know you've got one. Yeah. And for, I mean, Archfey is. You might not believe this, but Archfey is actually my favourite patron, Hmm. considering I play a Hexblade. I think it's got a lot of potential. I think you you kind of got into you were you were getting more into D and D, just as Wild Beyond the Witchlight came out. I think you'd sort of solidified your interest in it as a subject, and then Wild Beyond the Witchlight came out. So I noticed there was a while you were very very Fey influenced, Hmm. and then Fizzbands came out, and it's like. Fucking love dragons now. Yeah, but and and that's not to say like hate Fey. Dragons are my new best friend. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not quite I, that. It, it's not that. Like you, you still love Fey. Fey is still cool. Um, but Spelljammer I, I just, was coming out, and I put a bloody ship. Yeah, that crash landed on the planet. But you that did, was always going to be did, there. Yeah, but, you but, did say it was always going to be there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did say it was always going to be there. But still, it was. <laughs> I made more of an effort to guide you towards it. Yeah, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, the Arch Fey could get something like Fairy Fire. Mm. once per day for free like what would you put on the celestial warlock once a day for free guiding bolt mm-hmm. i'm just thinking like extending that give them one for each level so when the second level spell slots open up you give them one that they can cast once a day and you it would require a rework of all of the patrons because you'd have to give them thematically appropriate spells no you wouldn't for each level they each have an expanded spell list so you could choose you one could from, just choose, oh, choose right. one from the two options oh cool so yeah, so you could I do don't that. think that would be a big problem at mm. all. With what you were saying before about oh you might not get multiple encounters during a day. Yeah. I think that's something that DMs need to bear in mind mm-hmm. as well is if you are a DM who has a warlock at the table and the warlock is starting to look a bit dissatisfied or pissed off, maybe just shove the party into a second encounter in a day so mm-hmm. that the warlock can feel like a warlock I've got my spell slots, I've saved the day. They can then feel like they're using these abilities. I think sometimes there is, just from what I've seen of other DMs in live plays and things like that, I think sometimes DMs can get caught up on, I've planned this, this is the way things are going, rather than looking at, like, these are the abilities that the players have. How do I make sure that they've all got the opportunity to use the things that are cool for them? Mm-hmm. The the thing um, we should point out there, though, is that a lot of your invocations, not all, but a lot of them are long rest dependent. And so if you're only having one combat encounter a day and you know that, you mm. can just go hog wild oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, your, on your invocations. Yeah. So there is there is some balance to that. I wanted to talk about the Celestial Warlock subclass itself. Yes. Specifically, I was very disappointed. 
Were you? Yes. Because in my head, which is probably a problem with ageing, the Celestial Warlock and the Divine Soul Sorcerer had merged somewhat. Very much. And like, I thought the Celestial Warlock also got access to the spe- uh, the, the Speric Clell list. The Cleric Spell list. Yeah. I think because I actually took the two levels in Divine Soul Sorcerer, it really got mixed up when I was when I was doing this. Yeah. And the only reason I, I didn't do that is because, f- to me, I would want the third level cleric spell spells from Divine Soul Sorcerer more than I would want... Sorry, the second level, that's so I would have to go to three levels yeah. of, of Divine Soul. Mm. It's not that it's bad. I just don't think it's as... It just yeah. doesn't... I'm just looking at the higher level things. Level 6 Radiant Soul... Mm-hmm. You have a resistance to radiant damage when you cast a spell that deals radiant or fire damage. You can add your charisma modifier to one radiant or fire damage roll of that spell against one of its targets. So that's when you cast a spell that deals radiant or fire damage, you can add uh, to one radiant or fire damage roll. So that's you kind of do get that thing that uh, that Jacob was saying about, the but it's six level. You get it at 6th level. You get it at 6th level, and at that level, you've got two Eldritch Blasts. You've got two Eldritch Blasts, and you can put Eldritch Spear on that, which gives you... It's something stupid. It's like 300 feet. Yeah. Eldritch Spear becomes 300 feet, and if you take snipe, Spell Sniper, it's 600 feet or something like that. It's, yeah. It's nuts. It's <laughs> absolutely nuts. And you're doing 2d10 force damage, and you're adding your Charisma modifier... Mm. You can do that to both beams. We're not comparing 2d8 plus 4. We're comparing... To 2d10 plus 4, we're comparing 2d8 plus 4 to 2d10 plus 8, in hmm. my case. And those are leagues apart. I mean, like you were saying before about like being able to cast Eldritch Blast at 600 foot. Mm. Like I said, there is no limit on how high you can fly as an Arakokra. If you can get up past 320 feet... Nothing can hit you, even at disadvantage, unless somebody down on the ground also has, spell, has. also has spell slight spell sniper. They're not even at disadvantage. They just flat out do not have the range yeah. to hit you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One thing I did want to mention because you said about spell sniper. Yeah, I did look at that for the thorn whip trick to see if you could pull them up higher. Ooh, I don't know, but you can't. The wording of it is it doubles the range of the spell, but. When it says it pulls you 10 feet, that's not the range of the spell. So you could be much higher up. And it would still only pull you 10 feet. It would still only pull them 10 feet up. But you could be further away. Yeah, you can be further away, but they still only get pulled up 10 feet. They still only get 10 foot, yeah. If you asked for the DM's permission, though, and you got permission to get them to double the amount that they were pulled up, it's only another 10 foot, it's only another D6... But one d6 and knocking them prone is still huge for that spell. As your DM, mm-hmm. and I think a vast amount of DMs across the planet would agree, you are already asking for DMs permission for fucking Arakokra in the first place <laughs> to turn up and yeah. go. Can I have an? Can mm. I get your permission to do something even better than the yeah. first place? I'd go no. I mean, when Fuck I, off. <laughs> when I read about that trick with pulling people up in the air with Thorn yeah. Whip, it was builders like the fairy can do that. Yeah. And obviously the problem is, yes, you can do that as the fairy, but you're a small race, you're a lot more fragile yeah, yeah. and things like that. You're not as an Arakokra. No. You're a hell of a lot more resilient. And it's, you know, a fairy flies above you, flips you up in the air, knocks you down on your ass. You know, you're going to be mad at them. An eagle does that. A fucking eagle swoops down <laughs> to the air, does that to you. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, when I mentioned earlier about the signature cantrips, mm. what I meant is that you could also then apply all the other stuff that you get for Eldritch Blast to them. So, yeah. you know, doubling yeah. the range, etc., et or, or extending the range, etc., etc. Oh, I see. So, like with whereas that one that doubles the range of Eldritch Blast, it would just be it doubles the range of your signature cantrip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to sound as though I'm being contrarian which I frequently am, but for this I don't want to sound like um, I'm being contrarian because that's... Don't, don't worry about that. The, the, is it the Radiant Soul 6th level? Yeah. Yes. You get tied your Christmas modifier to one Radiant or Fire Damage roll of that spell against one of its targets. That's still not the same as it being Eldritch Blast. And when I was saying, but Eldritch mm. Blast allows you to do all these extra things, my point wasn't that it's not a good cantrip. It's that what you can get from Eldritch Blast, which is unfortunately what holds the Warlock back, I think, is you can add so much to your Warlock um, Eldritch Blast that you can... There's the one that pushes. I forget what it's called. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But you can push people off cliffs. You move them back 10 feet. And you mm. can keep doing that. So you can keep moving people out. You know, if they're bow wielders or they've got pistols or something, you just move them out of range. Mm. Each time you go, nope, nope, nope. You can get disadvantage mm. on all your attack rolls. But if you can add that to Vicious Mockery, so they've also got disadvantage on their next attack roll, I think it is, or or whatever it is, it doesn't, yeah. really, it doesn't really matter, for the Archfey patron, and things like that, mm. I think it would give each of the Warlock subclasses more identity. Yeah. And I think currently, the only Warlocks with identity mm. is the Hexblade. Yeah. Because it's so different. And if you had like, oh yeah, my Arch Fae patron gets to go around giving out disadvantage and doing extra damage. Like, hey, I heard you like Bard. It's like a more deadly version of that. Like, that gives the Arch Fae more of that tricksy identity. Yeah. If it was Firebolt, it gives it more of that single damage vengeance. Yeah. You know yeah. I'm trying to needle I'm at? thinking it's more like... Every warlock just use, uses Eldritch, Eldritch Blast. Blast. Yeah. And it would be nice to have more of an in-character motivation to have them Do use something Sacred different. Flame instead. Yeah. Like, there's kind of it with the Radiant Soul thing. There's kind of more encouragement in like the Celestial, but all of the classes should have like their signature cantrip instead of. Eldritch Blast. So it becomes more obvious when they turn up to a battlefield, that they're adding it to Sacred Flame. Another thing that Jacob said is that really only the Great Old One Warlock should really have Eldritch Blast, if you think about it. Like, Eldritch. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And if the Gulok had Eldritch Blast... Gulok? Goo, Great Old One. Okay. G-O-O, yeah. That would give people a reason to play Gulok, because mm. at the moment not a lot of them do, because the rest of the features are a bit... Mm. But if you gave them Eldritch Blast, mm. and only them, that would yeah. be like, okay, Eldritch Blast can target two people, I get my double my charisma modifier. That turns them into a more of the heavy hitter yeah. in that regard, just to lean into that flavour, mm. as opposed to, oh, at the moment, Eldritch Blast, when you have Eldritch Blast on all of your Warlocks, it's like, you know those uh, really shitty, cheapo crisps that you buy from Poundland mm. and like oh well one of these is apparently ready salted and the other one is salt and vinegar and the other one's cheese and onion and you go yeah it tastes of potato to me mm. at the moment that's kind of how the warlock feels to me I do have to just say though Poundland are the only shop that sell knickknacks so let's let's not knock Poundland okay right? I'm not <laughs> you know what I meant like yeah, own know, brand bottom of the barrel yeah. yeah yeah and you're like okay well this is apparently the cheese and onion and this is apparently the prawn cocktail flavour and all I can taste is salt yeah 
and and I think that's kind of what we have with the warlocks at the moment. And mm. if they had a signature cantrip, not to labour the point, but to give them here is the tricksy identity, here is the damage dealer identity, here is the sneaky identity for I don't know what else yeah. you can have. Here is the healy identity or the sacred flame. Here is the divine, and make it more about that. I think that would be. I think it would help mm. with, to give the subclasses more of an identity. I think the other confusion that warlocks have mm. is that they get the patron at level one, they get the invocations at level two, and they get the pact boon at level three. And pact boon kind of feels like it's another identity overlaid over the class. Yeah. Like, you are the spellcasty warlock. You are the familiar warlock. You, you are, are the fighty warlock. You are the fighty warlock. You or are, talisman. You are the... Yeah, who knows? The guy with a necklace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one day we'll get... Uh, one day we'll get packed to the talisman. The, and we'll no, we won't, it. because we get to choose. Yeah. One no. day I will choose to do pack to the talisman. Yeah. And I will be upset. But you've got that, and then you've also got the patron... And I kind of feel like if the patron had more of an effect on the things that were available in t- to your packed invocations, mm. that might also help as well. Like if there were certain invocations that were only available to a celestial, but it would be nice if those choices that you made opened up something unique in terms of invocation. I, I think you could do it much easier than that. In the same way that you have packed invocations, mm. if you had patron unique invocations. The problem with that mm. is that, why is that not just a subclass feature? You could streamline it much more to be like, here's the invocation that allows you to turn your weapon damage as packed to the blade into the same damage as your signature cantrip. Could be. I mean, I, I was just thinking of it is the, the good thing about the invocations that get added on mm-hmm. is that they are optional. If you don't like yeah. it, you don't have it. But there again, I mean, you could just have it and not use it if yeah. it was a class feature. It might be simpler to just add it as a class feature. The other the other thing to point out there is that you're supposed to use your imagination. D&D is a game of imagination. Mm. And a Hexblade having the Mask of Many Faces and the Archfey having the Mask of Many Faces and the Fiend having the Mask of Many Faces... To me, those are all slightly different flavours. Yeah. You can imagine them differently. You know, like you use your disguised self for an Archfey Warlock is for like, oh, well, I'm changing my face. This is what we usually do. Mm. For a Hexblade, it's that shadowy, I need to be sneaky. For the Fiend, it's this, I'm going to deceive people. Mm. For the Great Old One, it's I'm not really... You can lean into that flavour. Yeah. And I think they have to be generic enough to apply to any Warlock. I think having an invocation which links to your patron, such as a Pact of the Blade, a Pact of the Tome, a Pact of the Chain, and a Pact of the Talisman, so that you get an extra little thing. So maybe if we talk about Signature Cantrip, like, oh, you can turn it into the same damage as Signature Cantrip. Yeah. Or you can, for Pact of the Chain, you get another familiar option mm. that has the same bracket tag as your, so for, for an Arch, yeah. fey, any Fae of CR1, any Fiend of CR1, any... That kind oh, that of would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, to kind of open it up a little bit. Um, Pack to the Talisman, you can get a necklace. Um, <laughs> or or Pack to the Tome, you can take... You learn to summon something that's associated with your patron. Mm. Uh, I think that would be interesting, but I think it does need that work. Yeah. Multi-class options, we've barely touched on this. So, I mean, Paladin, if you want to go Pack to the Blade... 
saucer for everything else. I think I said last week it's weird because normally Warlock is something that you multi-class on top of something else. So it's weird to be doing Warlock with something else multi-classed in. I mean, two levels of Sorcerer gets you metamagic points, so you get it gets your spell slot it back. gets your spell slots back. Depending on which origin you choose, if you're not limited by Celestial and Divine Soul, you can look at, you throw some wild magic in there if you yeah. want. You can uh, have Dragon Blood origin, which mm-hmm. that gives you, you're always on Mage Armor. I would like to see a more linear comparison between Warlocks and Sorcerers. I want, maybe she's born with it, <laughs> and I want maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I want a wild magic sorcerer in comparison to Archfey Warlock. I want Dragon Blood Sorcerer and Dragon Pact Warlock. Oh, Pact of the Dragon would be a. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be so cool? That would be so cool. And later levels, you can summon yeah. a dragon you can ride. I don't know. Who cares? I mean, the thing that I liked about doing this is it's very much like you start off a Pact of the Celestial. And Celestial is not a god, but it is sort of a god-adjacent thing. So I like the idea that, you know, the first three levels, there was an angel that was, you know, feeding them this power. And then all of a sudden they hit fourth level. And it's like the god that is in charge of the Celestial just goes, all right, boop, like that. So then that's how they move from being sort of Celestial Warlock to Divine Divine Soul. Soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally an upgrade it's literally a promotion in terms of who they're dealing with one of the things that we must talk about we've kind of touched on future of the build and stuff i mean you Mm. just keep going and you take some cool mystic arcanum i don't do you celestial resilience at 10th level Mm. you gain temporary hit points whenever you finish a short or long rest these temporary hit points equal your warlock level plus your charisma mod choose up to five creatures you can see at the end of the rest those creatures each gain temporary hit points equal to half your warlock level Plus your charisma modifier. So at tenth level, they everybody gets five, probably eight temporary hit points. That's better than aid. Yep, um, just for free, mind you. You're at tenth level, so yeah. you got your mystic arcanums that pop up. Searing vengeance at fourteenth level. Starting at fourteenth level, the radiant energy you channel allows you to resist death. When you have to make a death saving throw at the start of your turn, you can instead spring back to your feet with a burst of radiant energy. You regain hit points equal to half your hit point maximum. Jeez. That's pretty ouch and if you've extended your hit point maximum with aid and you stand up if you so choose each creature of your choice that's within 30 feet of you takes radiant damage equal to 2d8 plus your charisma modifier that's not so hot at level 14 but they are blinded until the end of your current turn so if you go down that's a 30 foot blind on everything around you that's pretty nice it's pretty good you can only use it once per long rest but i mean how many times per long rest do you get was that knocked unconscious or was that killed when when you have to make a death saving throw so that's when you're unconscious and risking death yeah you just come back up and the damage is not particularly special but the blind is very nice and what you could always do is fuck with your dm and take Mm. two death saving throws and then just bring up the next turn and go, fuck you. Yeah. What I meant to say is, I do apologise for cutting across you, Simon. You regain hit points equal to half your hit point maximum. If you have been aided, your hit point maximum is increased. You you're can right. be aided yeah. and have... You're absolutely right. Uh, what's so the got, one? Armour of Agathis or False Life. So you've got five points from that, assuming you haven't upcast it. Yeah. So if you've got five points from that, plus eight points from Celestial Resilience... Thirteen. Yeah. That's a nice extra little chunk of hit points. You're welcome. The the one thing I did want to say is mm. that Warlock is an amazing, like truly incredible dip for role playing. 
Mm. Because um, I have a Hexblade Warlock, and I kind of did the opposite of what I'm putting forward, but I had a Hexblade Warlock, and then at a certain point, I considered the pact ended, because Mm. my deal with the Raven Queen had ended, and because I had been so exposed to the, to the Shadowfell, I had now become a Shadowfell sorcerer. Both of them, I suppose. But Warlock in particular, if you've got a character that's around, you mm. know, that's like Nanny in our campaign or something, yeah, you could be so close to just making an Archfey Pact with Nanny. I was so close. There were a number of times when we were levelling up, particularly when the school, which is sort of the hub for our, our adventurers, when that was under attack and it looked like that was in trouble, I was thinking of taking a, a, taking a level or two of Warlock Pact and just, just literally going down to that Bay Garden area trying to get in contact with Nanny and just saying I'd like a level of Warlock please it, thank you yeah Warlock does a great thing for martial classes yeah you take one level of Warlock and you stick Hex on your fighter hmm and being able to, once a short rest have Hex Ex- bouncing around as your bonus action yeah and once a short rest action surge as well yeah a level 6 so take the extra Warlock on top yeah You've hexed someone, you action surge, that's four attacks with four extra d6s. Mm. I mean, admittedly, I, I kind of prefer Divine Favor, I think, because you get more uses of it, even though it's a smaller dice from, yeah. from one level of War Cleric. Yeah. That's much of a muchness. Those one or two levels, especially if you go to three to get Pact of the Blade if you're a martial class, or Pact of the Tome if mm. you're a sorcerer. So you get ritual spells if you go Pact of the Chain if you're a sorcerer, so you get a familiar. Mm. All Pact, of- of, Pact of the Blade and Hexblade kind of creates a complication in some builds because once you go down that avenue, you start to look at it as like, well, I may as well just throw everything into Charisma. You know, especially mm-hmm. if you're building it to begin playing after having those three levels of Warlock. If you're building it like that, there is a very big temptation to be like, yeah, I'm just going to throw everything into Charisma because I can base all of my attacks off Charisma and I can just, you know, tank strength and dex. Mm-hmm. Not dex, because dex is armor. But you can be like, I can just not can, worry about strength. You can tank probably three out of your six stats. Yeah. You can get rid of int, you can get rid of wiz, and you yeah. can get rid of strength. I then find myself falling into the trap of, well, I've got a high Charisma, which means I should be spellcasting. But if you take... I Organizing Blast yeah. as your invocation, yeah. and you take Pack to the Blade, and you take Hexblade. If you take that whole package, you then have something that is very good at fighting. They've got Eldritch Blast, so they are very good at ranged as well. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that's the niche that the Warlock tries to fulfill, is somebody who can hold their own in combat. Yeah. They're not the best at combat, they're not the best at spellcasting, but they're solid They're a solid performer at range, and they're a solid performer in melee. I've said before that I really do feel as though the Hexblade is a fix for Pact of the Blade. I really think that Pact of the Blade should just give you the ability to use your spellcasting ability modifier Mm. to attack with. I I think that should just be it. And give you uh, maybe shield proficiency and medium armour. Yeah. Because at the moment, (laughs) you've got Pact of the Tome, where you get... Is it like a first level ritual and some cantrips? And... You get three rituals from any spell slot list, and you get three cantrips from any spell slot list. Which again, that's, that's not the that's not with the extra invocation, is it? Oh no, the extra invocation is the one that gives you the rituals. Let me just see, just double check here because I want to yep. make sure I get this right. Pact boon is pact of the tome, and that gives you the three cantrips. 
the Eldritch Invocation that weirdly you get at level two, so you have to change once you get to yeah, level yeah. three. That's the one that gives you Book of Ancient Secrets, which is you can now inscribe magic rituals into your Book of Shadows. So it doesn't just give you like three ritual spells that you can then cast and that's it. It gives you the ability to scribe them into your Book of Shadows. So mm -hmm. it means if you're out and about shopping and you see a spell scroll, you can buy that and you can then have another ritual. You can do the ritual caster thing. You can do what a wizard does, which is load up on rituals that you can cast out of combat. But the good thing is you can take them from any spell list. Yeah. So you are better than a wizard. You are better than a ritual. At caster. ritual casting. Yeah. yeah, at ritual casting. You, you've got more flexibility with rituals than a wizard has. Also worth pointing out that some ritual casting spells, some of them do only require one action. Mm. So you can just cast them in combat as well, if you need to. For, for I think with this, they have to be cast as a ritual. Let me just check. That might be. As it, does it say only cast as a ritual? With your Book of Shadows in your hand, you, can, uh, you can't cast the spells except as ritual, unless ah, okay. you've learned them by some other means. So if you wanted to cast, say, mm -hmm. one of the... It, this brings up something interesting, which is Gentle Repose mm -hmm. can be cast as a ritual. Mm -hmm. But it's too late if you cast it as a ritual. I think the implication is that you've started the spell mm -hmm. and it just takes 10 minutes longer to cast the spell. Mm. So you have still cast it in the time. Okay. You're, you're just taking the 10 extra minutes to make sure this... All right, so if combat ends and you instantly go over to the person who is dead and start casting gentle, so it goes from the start of when you cast, do you reckon? I, I, wasn't be, able they, to, they... I wasn't able to find a clear answer, which is why I'm asking. Right. This is Steve's interpretation, DM's okay. interpretation. Yeah. This is not an official ruling. Hmm. However, it does have the ritual tag. It's meant to work as a ritual. Yeah. If you start it as a ritual, it just takes 10 minutes longer to cast. That doesn't mean it takes 10 minutes for the spell to work. Yeah, that's what I mean. As I saw it as like, if it worked at the end of the casting time, that's too late yeah. for it to be doing anything meaningful. Okay, you are still casting the spell for 10 minutes, right? So the spell is taking effect throughout all 10 of those minutes. All right, okay, okay. If the spell gets interrupted, hmm. which can happen, that's when you have an issue. See, I'm just thinking of that in terms of... In my opinion. If you had a character went down in combat and you were taking that interpretation of how gentle repose works, you could set up a whole other stress encounter on the party where they're trying to protect the cleric. Or the warlock in this case. Yeah, the cleric or the, the warlock. I think wizards get it now, thanks to Tash's. You're I trying, still don't know how I feel about that. But you're yeah. trying to protect the caster. So one of your party is distracted, trying to maintain concentration, casting this ritual to save the person's life. And I think if you're an evil DM, that, that's when you really test know, the party. I've got to make some notes. <laughs> yeah. If you're an evil DM, that's when you test the party. If you're a DM who wants to give your characters a chance, I think that's the point at which you would throw things at them that they're not making optimal choices and they're not the most lethal enemies you could yeah. you could put in. But you could certainly stress out your players by giving them the illusion of having to worry about protecting like the spell. A, like um, you you wouldn't give them a bullet because no. that's just got the too much mobility. But something like a a roper. Do you know a roper? Yes. Stalagmite. It's, it it looks like a stalagmite, but it's actually a creature. Yeah, they were in campaign two one point yeah, yeah 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 they were yeah if you found something on sage advice there no that's looking up the word sage <laughs>
<laughs> right, okay. I'm just going to click on the tweet and see if, if someone's got it. So even though Gentle Repose takes an action plus 10 minutes to cast, as long as it's been started within that first minute, it works. That's the only way what he said can make sense as far as I can tell. So it looks like from the comments, it looks like that is... We could start aggressively tweeting Jeremy Crawford. I'm sure he's busy at the moment. But we I, could start I like just... Jeremy Crawford. I don't want to be aggressive. No, no, I don't mean like... aggressive as in, listen, you fucker. I'm, I just mean like, <laughs> keep tweeting him politely until he answers. Yes, yes. Yeah. Let's move on to our, our little summary here. Mm-hmm. Pros and cons. You've got all the healing. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be hit because you're flying <laughs> around like a twat. Yeah. Pro of my build, I've got my buddy. Mm-hmm. And my buddy's got a stingy tail if I take yeah. a pseudo dragon. Can your buddy do the help action to give you advantage? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's great. They're, they're not particularly survivable, so I'd be a bit worried about getting them into combat too often. Again, if you while, choose one that's got flyby, yeah. it can move in and move out. While I was looking at the Ogre Strength build, Pack to the Chain was another thing that I looked at because you can use that to... Uh, there's a way of giving them disadvantage that doesn't involve spells, but I think if you've got the Gauntlet of Ogre Strength and Expertise in Athletics, mm-hmm. you end up with like a, a plus 10 to grapple. And very easily giving them disadvantage because while they're like looking at you bearing down on them, your little quasit or whatever has grabbed the back of their collar and is just giving it a tug. <laughs> yeah, just, just annoying them to, to give them disadvantage. That's another big thing about the Pact of the Chain. If you're only taking three levels for Pact of the Chain and you're a martial class, mm. you take five levels to get extra attack and then your little buddy does an extra attack as a bonus action. It's pretty sick. Nice. Especially yeah. if you can use both of your invocations to get Voice of the Chain Master and Investment of the Chain Master hmm. so that it's now using your spell safe DC <laughs> and you know you can poison them with the yeah. pseudo dragon and then beat them up so they got disadvantage and <laughs> you can grapple them. Oh yeah. there you go, you could do that pseudo dragon to poison them. Cons, I feel as though this is a very squishy build. It's not particularly survivable. I looked at yours and it only had 13 AC. I'm not happy with that. I wouldn't be happy with that at I, all. I forgot to get studded leather armour. It would have only been 14. Yeah. If you were to take Armour of Shadows, mm-hmm. which gives you Mage Armour for free, yeah, you're laughing. Yeah. How did I get mine to 16 again? Because I know I've got 16. You've got armor. a plus 3 in... You've got studded leather armour, a plus 3 in Dex, and a plus 1 from Cloak of Protection. Yeah. So that was how I got mine up to 16, which is still not huge. It's, still it's above light. average. I mean, it's it's you're looking at that with a lot of monk. You know, I know they've got a lot of other tricks to negate. You, you've hits, got other things like patient. Def- as well. Yeah, yeah, you've got patient defense. You've got the dodge action, which you could take as a, 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 a walk, yeah. I suppose. But and you've also got things like evasion at some mm. point, don't they? And the, yeah. the chucking missiles back. I took sorcerer, so I've got shield. Yeah. So if it's something big enough, you know, in theory, I can get to 21 armor for a turn if I need mm-hmm. to. Then use the dash action to get high up enough that they can't hit me. Yeah. Uh, what would you take from the other build? From your build? Yeah. I know I was a bit boastful about having gotten 11 cantrips. I don't think you really need 11 cantrips. <laughs> I mean, Pack to the Chain is definitely a good argument for that being a, a thing that you take. Hey, buddy, is this my familiar appearing? Yes. Hello. Hello. Can we ask you to go to bed for a little bit more? Bed, bed. Bed, bed, bed. No, he's fucked off. No, off he goes. Would you be persuaded to take Pact of the Chain as opposed to Pact of the Tome? 
I think if I was going to take any other pact with the build that I've got, it would be, I don't know, because I was going to say blade, but it's not pact of the blade where you, you really get anything apart from being able to sort of summon it to your hand as a bonus. You can take an invocation at fifth level to do two attacks. So uh, maybe I would do that to get the extra attack and it's then really... be able to swoop down and do that. But I think, to be honest, I think Pack to the Tome and spell casting at range is probably what I would stick to. I mean, a, yeah. a chain, you could just have your little buddy flying up next to you doing, as a bonus action, little ranged attacks and stuff. Yeah, little dropsies. Yeah, there's plenty of... Uh, I think it would be inter an interesting way of doing it. I don't think I need as many extra cantrips as I've ended up with. You are surprisingly well equipped for a lot of eventualities. Yeah, it is It is true and it does sort of fulfil the, the air support brief mm -hmm. of the character. But I do think, like, it's a lot of cantrips. And, and really, are any of them worth more than Eldritch Blast? Yeah. And the, again, the other thing about what I take from the other build, not so much what I take from your build, the more I think about it, the more I think I would probably take the Gauntlets of Ogre Strength <laughs> just so that I could be like, hold person. I mean, I can hold person and grapple anyway, but if they recover from it midair, I'm in trouble as well. Yeah. So, I mean, hold person and being able to lift them up is, is quite nice. I think if there was mobility, I would be very, very tempted to take mm -hmm. it as this as well. But What about... um. Would you take Agonising Blast? I was very, very tempted by it, but I think with my Warlock only being third level, yeah. I've only got the two invocations, and I think for me it was a case of I really wanted the ritual spells and I really wanted the Devil Sight mm -hmm. to go with the Darkness. Understood. So I've got a couple of different combos that I can do there. Would you still play this? I think I would play this for a short campaign. One if it was the Ogre Strength build... That would be hilarious for a one-shot, but I don't know if I would want to play it for more than one game. It would be a one-trick pony. Yeah, if I had this build with like all of the different cantrips, I could see going with that for a short campaign, but I think the flying, it's such a thing. It kind of really beco it becomes your identity because you can yeah. fly. You always feel like you should be flying. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you as Simon right now, if you could fly, what would mm. you be doing? I'd probably be too tired, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> that aside. <laughs> yeah, better options for this. At my table, you're not allowed to use Aarakocra. Yeah, fair enough. And that's... I sometimes worry that I come across as a little conceited or self-absorbed when I sit at my table. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing. At, at a lot of tables. people's tables. Yeah. You're probably not going to get to play Aarakocra. Fly really adds so much just in terms of, we've been talking about like Reach and Polar Master and things like that. There's so many things we've been talking about. It's literally just on the horizontal plane. When you add the vertical plane above that, I mean... Yeah. There was one we were saying about making it difficult to get across the battlefield because you have, like, you know, bugbears with reach and you have yeah, barricades yeah, yeah. that you physically have to manoeuvre around. And you can make a battlefield interesting like that. Once you can fly, it's literally just, like, up, across, down. Yeah. Like, um, do you ever play Scribblenauts? No, but I heard about it. The first Scribblenauts is somewhat infamous by being able to solve everything with either a rope, a magnet, and a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you can solve every level pretty much with a rope, a magnet, and a helicopter, mm. apart from the ones that are underwater, in mm. which case you need a boat or a submarine, a magnet, <laughs> and a rope. Um, <laughs> your build. Oh, would I play it? Yeah, would you play your build? I know we're going back a step, but... No. No? 
Not no. at all? Not for a one-shot? There is a part of me as a DM that feels I couldn't do this to someone else. If yes. I wasn't do it to myself, I can't do it to someone else. And that that's how I felt about the Ogre Gauntlets. I thought you'd... You would re- it, if someone did either, that, they'd really piss me you off. You would either have to restrain yourself to only doing it when it really matters. Mm-hmm. But equally, I think, as a DM, would you be able to trust a player who could do that at a table? No, because I, I couldn't trust myself. I think it's something where you would have to, for it to feel fair, you would have to be an Arakokra barbarian mm-hmm. or an Arakokra fighter. You would have to be a character who built into strength because ultimately, if somebody came to my table with ogre gauntlets and an Arakokra, the absolute first thing I would do is take those fucking gloves off them somehow. <laughs> That would be the first thing do I would do. Do you know how you do that? With my, By removing the Arakokra. With my build, if you take the Ogre Gauntlets off them, they've got eight strength. You know, this one can then cast Hold Person and lift them up like that. You know, as I said, if they recover from Hold Person midair, you're in trouble mm-hmm. because you're holding on to somebody who's just going to beat the ever-loving crap out of yeah, you. Yeah, Biffy one. Yeah. And that's why you would take Spell Sniper, so that you can stay further away from them. Yeah. I think that was part of the problem was I was trying to be cheeky and do everything. Yeah. The problem that my build presents is having a character who can stay above the battlefield. So no monk running over to them, mm-hmm. or unless it's an Arakokra monk. No monk running over to them and suddenly punching them or anything. They're just above the battlefield at range, casting spells down. And the only way the DM can really deal with that is by having either spell snipers or longbows. Yeah. In terms of better options... I don't know I would that take there's... any of the other subclasses over this. I have taken Hexblade before. I can imagine Pact of the Chain having a little pseudo dragon and I've got like a little short sword or something and I'm a, a wood elf or half elf archfey patron. That sounds like so much fun. Absolutely would keep Pact of the Chain. Fuck Arakokra off into a bin. Mm. And the Celestial Warlock, it's not enough healing to be a good healer. It's a nice extra. I mean, when I was looking at putting it together, I was thinking, oh, if you've got air support, I ended up taking... um, A fifth level paladin has guaranteed 25 healing. I ended up taking Spare the Dying because I was thinking, if you run out of spell slots for um, Healing Word, Mm. you know, you can dive down, boop them back up. But you've got your healing pool. That's got quite a hefty range yeah, on it as well, hasn't it? So 60 just, feet, I think. Yeah, if you just save one or two of the D6s that you're allowed and just go, yeah, you back up with D6. Nice. Yeah. Shall we move on to next week? Yes, let's find Our out last episode of season one. Come here, boy. Oh, come on then. Come oh, on. you've We're knocked everything. End. We're at the end. Come on, give us some gobble noises. I'll cut them. Yeah. You, he's been an excellent boy today. Yeah, we he's a really good boy. We really do patient. want you to know that. This is the last one. Okay. If you've been keeping up at home, you would know that it's a paladin. It is an Oath of the Ancients paladin. Which one's Oath of the Ancients? It's the, we promise you're not really a druid. Oh, druid flavoured, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you are a gem dragonborn. Ooh, we've got dragonborn again. Yes, we have. Yes. We have. I didn't change it because one was PHB Dragonborn and this is new Dragonborn. Okay, so this is this is new Dragonborn. This is Gem Dragonborn. Yeah. I have an idea for what I want to do. Okay. Obviously I do. I've had this for months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I think would help resolve the confusion over whether it's new race or old race or whatever. I was thinking if we look at it as like if you were in a story or in a game or something and you looked up at someone you wouldn't know whether they came from Morton Caymans or you wouldn't know if they no. came from anything else. You would just know them as a dragonborn. Yeah. 
So I think that might be a way for the second season to look at it is to just rather than saying it's, you know, Morden Kanan's role's Dragonborn or yeah, this yeah, yeah. Dragonborn or that We're Dragonborn. We're just gonna just, go new. If they just look at it, if they just look at it and say, That's a drow, you know. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm. It genuinely means a lot. I say that every week, but it really, really does. Yeah. Um I'm gonna say goodbye. Uh I'm gonna say the word whelk because I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Frodo, are you going to say goodbye? Yeah, we get a goodbye from Boy. No, he's out, mate. No, he's just having a cuddle, aren't you? Good boy. Yeah, good boy. This has been an episode of the Bilderbard Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon and Frodo the dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Stephen Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. Follow us at anchor.fm slash Bilderbard at Bilderbard Pod on Twitter and TikTok, Facebook.com slash Bilderbard, and r slash Bilderbard Workshop on Reddit. Thanks for listening, and have a lovely game. Sorry, Editing Simon. Uh, you alright? Yeah, you don't need to apologise to Editing Simon as much. Uh, I'm very aware that he can make me sound like a total dick if he wants to. <laughs>